It's a Labor Day edition of Heavy Hitters here on the radio voice of Kutztown University. KUR Kutztown, Jack Heim, Mitchell Smedley rolling with you on this holiday. Mitch, how you doing, buddy? Oh, subpar, buddy. Subpar. I know. I know exactly You know how I'm doing. Yeah. Um, now, besides watching a baseball team that can't hold on to a lead ever, uh, I've been sick all weekend. So I, we're, in, we're in recovery, though. That sounds awful. Um, on the men. <laughs> we're on the up and up. We are, uh, you know, yesterday I didn't leave my room. So today, you know, I'm out at the McFarland Student Union building. I hear your iced coffee rattling around over there. Oh, my bad. <laughs> nice. And, uh, yeah, so I got out of bed today, which was uh, a step up. But, yeah, it hit me hard yesterday. I felt it, you know, like, you know how you can start to feel it on Saturday? Like, or not, yeah. I guess not on Saturday per se. But, uh. That makes it sound like you did something else. <laughs> what? Just to start to feel it on Saturday? I don't get it. Okay. Are you talking mind. about benders? Yeah, I, yes, no. Mitch. Yes. No, I would never. <laughs> <laughs> the irony, I'll tell you. Um, so, <laughs> the irony, I'll tell you. You know how there's like that. that day you can feel your allergies kicking in and you're like, ah, I'll just ignore it. I'm sure it'll just go away. Because I don't have Claritin with me because I forgot it. You do sound really stuffed up. I I still am. I still am. But just imagine this, but 10 times worse yesterday. Okay. Not good. Not so. good. So I apologize to anyone who my voice annoys today, but could have been worse. Could. You could be like really, really raspy and yeah. like hoarse. Like I feel like that's even worse. All right. I was about to say something really mean, but I'll hold off. Was it about me? No. Okay. <laughs> about someone else. Oh, I think I might know who you're talking about. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get right into the sports talk here. The lots to talk it. about week one college football. Finishing up tonight, we'll preview Clemson and Duke. We'll talk about all that happened over the weekend. A lot of action-packed games on Saturday and another one that transpired last night down in Orlando. Plenty of college football to talk about. Of course, got to dive into MLB. A lot going on there. Season winding down here as we're officially in the month of September. Our first September show. Oh, um, yeah. So, Didn't even notice. Yeah. Since Friday was September 1st, and we are a Monday and Wednesday show. This is the first September show for us of the month, and we're glad to be doing it for you on this holiday. Hope your Labor Day weekend has been good. Have to say that uh, before we get into it. And we will dabble into some NFL talk here towards the end of the show today. That's more going to be coming up in hour number two. So wherever you are listening to us to right now, it is very much appreciated, not only from us two, but Everyone at the station listening to our student-based shows. And Mitch, I don't even want to know what you're laughing at no. right now. <laughs> Wherever you are listening us to. <laughs> oh, listening was, to us right now. That was awesome. Wherever you are listening us to. I think I just said that so fast I, I didn't know. even think about what order I put those words in. All right. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, thank you for correcting me, Mitch. Wait, no, it's not a big it, deal. I, so. I, I, th- I found it funny. Maybe yeah. pay attention more. Yeah. That's how you drive listenership, Jack. That's true. Pay attention. Marketing. So marketing. Exactly. All right. Let's start with baseball, Mitch. Oh, um, okay. I thought you... we were gonna I thought we were gonna start off on what made you so excited this weekend. No, no, no. We'll get to that in due okay. time. Okay. Because right. that'll take us a lot of the way through our number one. That's true. So I'm with it. Let's just get baseball right out of the way early. Um and a wild card race. Heating up four teams vying for that third spot. You know, I mean I think they're even tied for the second spot too. Red's still on the outside looking in. It's gonna be a Tight race, day by day. You're going to be watching that race down the stretch of the season. Phil's got that top wild card spot in their grasp right now, and they hold that spot. And I think that's where they're ultimately going to wind up and stay. Uh, but you know, I'm not going to put you, you know, under the microscope here and ask you who do you think is going to make it right now. But what do you think of this race? How do you think it's going to, you know, 
Do you see any teams taking the reins for those two spots over the next couple weeks? Is well, yeah, my, my I, ultimate question. I definitely think the Cubs have set, they've put you know a couple games of separation there. They're solidly in the second spot, uh, starting to take aim on the fills for the first. Yeah. Um, so I think the Cubs definitely have locked into that second spot. That's right. They make a mistake there. They do have a three and a half game lead for that second spot. No, but, but there's other teams still within reach for that second exactly. spot is what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's they're just started a three game set with uh San Francisco. Cubs got the victory five nothing today. I was actually watching some of that before I headed over here. Uh there you go. And oh, who pitched for them today? He went eight innings. Eight shutout innings uh, allowed two hits. Justin Steele. Justin Steele, has been an yes. absolute monster this year for the Cubs. 16-3, yep. 2 ERA. He is very much in the Cy, Cy Young uh, candidate race. Absolutely. So, been an ace for them. Absolutely. He's so, been an ace. He Taking was, the reins in a rotation. Especially Marcus Stroman out for the season. So, mm-hmm. I mean, his, his presence has been even more needed to be good at the top end of that rotation for the Cubs. And he's, he's answered the bell. Yep. So he's been dominant. Uh, Suzuki had a good day today. Home run and a double. I believe a, an RBI double. So uh, two RBIs on the day for Suzuki. Um, I, I think the Cubs really have a lot of talent there. I, I think they are, you know, uh, definitely going to push the Phils. I think the Phils will wind up uh, with that top spot. But the Cubs, uh, two more to go against San Francisco and Gabe Kapler. Uh, they're really fighting to stay in. They, they've really hit a skid here. I Loses mean, a four in a row. Yeah, four in a row, and and even before that, they lost the series to the Phillies. Very could very well could have gotten swept by the Phillies. And so Gabe Kapler, they once held the. I, I just I always will think of the Giants as Gabe Kapler, by the way, because just such a hateable face. Uh, for once, you, once for held you. the first the first spot, I believe, and then uh, they've they've just fallen uh, throughout the latter half of August and now into September. Really can't get it together. We we've seen this. With so many different teams this year, right? Like we've seen these teams climb all the way up the the wild card standings just to fall. We saw Miami fall. Uh, we saw the Reds. We saw the Diamondbacks. They were division leaders at one point, uh, about halfway through the season, maybe just under halfway. It's just been so up and down. It has been. It's been a lot of jostling. You know, the That's... ebbs and flows of these teams. They've they've. I think all of them have experienced their their lows and, and their really high highs. So it's like for sure you see just. You know which team is going to be able to consistently figure it out down these next couple weeks? Is is I mean it's the obvious answer as who's going to get in, who's going to you know be out when, when it's all said and done. I personally, if I had to you know say about it right now, I think the Giants are not going to make it. I just I would don't agree. Think, I, don't I just think don't they think they have, have enough in the tank. Because you look at their roster, like I looked at their roster throughout the the season, and I'm like, how are they in the first wild card? How are they in the second wild card? How are they doing this well? And, and now you're starting to see what not having some of those top-end talent. Like, Kapler can only manage his way through so many games. They I, they lead the league in, in pinch hitting. They lead the league in uh, – actually, what I found crazy was they lead the league in errors, which I thought for some reason That's San wild. Francisco was a, a sound defensive team. They lead the league in errors, apparently. That, now, now that I think about that, though, it's not that far-fetched. Nah. Because, you know, you look – Jock Peterson is going to have to play. Wilmer Flores isn't great defensively. Yeah. I mean, I don't think J.D. Davis is any great shakes defensively. So, I mean, you look at some of the guys. Of course, they Brandon Crawford has been a great defender for a long time, but he's getting old now. So, it really isn't that, you know, out of the realm of imagination that they're the, you know, team who leads the league in errors. Yeah. Uh, but before we get back into our MLB discussion, real quick, we do have a message from the KR Notebook. Are you interested in getting involved on campus? Join the Kutztown women's rugby team. No experience necessary. Our first meeting will be on September 6th at 7 p.m., or Wednesday, September 6th, pardon me, at 7 p.m. in the Academic Forum, room 202. You can also follow... 
the women's rugby team on Instagram at KU Women's Rugby. Once again, that's Wednesday, September 6th at 7 p.m. in Academic Forum, room 202 for their first meeting. All right, back into it here on Heavy Hitters. Might on. have to shoot over there after our show on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Think I should join? <laughs> I'm not even going to answer that. We're moving on. Back at MLB discussion. Yep. Uh, we were talking about the Giants. Losing four in a row. Their defensive woes are glaring. I think the back end of that bullpen's a little bit shaky. You saw Camilo Duvall, especially in that Philly series, blew one save on a walk-off, uh, 4-3, I believe that was. Yes, Marshall was. came around to score on a Turner hit Yep. Um, to end that game. And then Harper tied it off Duvall the next day yeah. before the Giants ultimately won that game in extra innings. So, I mean, you're that was seeing... the crazy part because they were advertising how great he was like on the broadcast. He's a good everything. closer, yeah. but he has his faults for sure. And the, he came in, I believe it was like 33 of 38 he had uh, you know, saved, you know, and... Yeah, he was good on 33 out of 38 attempts. And then, you know, after Turner got that hit, I, I was, you know, screaming at my TV, he's now 33 of 39! And then Harper hits the pole, right? And I go, he's 33 of 40! Right? It was, like, it was no. awesome. What a, what a oh, yes. great high. And the, he, Craig Kimbrell, by the way, while we're talking about shaky back ends, Craig Kimbrell has shown uh, some weakness in the last couple of weeks, blowing several saves, which I'll get to in just a second. Yes, we'll the, talk about the Phillies for certain coming up. Yeah. The Giants, though, I think they're definitely going to fade in September, uh, which on brand for Kapler did it with the Phils. So good to see that that bit's still keeping up. And I think the Diamondbacks probably grabbed that third spot. I like the talent on their roster. I like the, the playmakers that they have. And this is about that time of year that, that those types of players start to shine through. So I'm going to go to the contrary. If I had to pick right now, I think the Marlins get that last spot. Pitching Ugh. pitching is so huge. It is. And the Marlins have a plethora of it. And I think that's the ultimate difference. I know the bullpen is so up and down for them. But if they can just get a little bit of consistency over these next two weeks, it's. I think, I think they'll be the team that gets in. I think they're just a little bit more experienced, a little bit more veteran-led, and I lead to those teams compared to a very youthful Diamondbacks team. I think it's just. I think they're one year away. If, okay. I, if I had to say right now, and I was high, I was bullish on the D backs at the beginning of the season. You are. It's a good call. You can by go you. back to this. You know, back to our spring semester show. I said that the D backs would push for a playoff spot this year, and I was right on the money with that take. And they might get in when it's all said and done. I'm not saying they can't, but if I had to say right now, I'd say the Marlins. I lean pitching. I lead with a veteran team. Uh, give me Miami to get in. But, again, there's still weeks to figure it out. So we'll, we'll see how it all transpires. But one more point. I yeah. think it's crazy that we're going to see a team with negative run differential get in the postseason. Isn't that wild to you? Uh, which one? All all of the, the D-backs, Marlins, Reds, oh, and Giants have oh, negative oh, run differentials. All of them, yeah. All uh, four of those teams are, are in the negative run differentials. It's just crazy to me. I mean, I think run differential is a huge stat to show how you know, efficient or inefficient a team can be. Again, some blowout losses can balloon that run differential. Yep. But that's what I was going to say. It just know, shows, I think it just shows consistency because you're not, a team who's pushing for the playoffs isn't consistently losing blowout games. For sure. We are in an era where once you get down four or five runs in the eighth or ninth inning, you're putting in the Dylan Coveys of the world that, you know, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. <laughs> Sorry, that, that came to me. I found <laughs> that this, came uh, out of nowhere and I loved it. I just, well, I'll tell you what. There's, like, this guy on TikTok that I follow. I forget his name, but I just found his videos again recently, like, two days ago. Uh, and he's just this guy that, like, always has, like, a, a sports moment on the TV or something. And he's just screaming in front of it, Whoa, son! We got the... And then, so, he had, uh, he showed, the like, the fourth miss in a row for the Cowboys field goal kicker. 
I think it was Maher, right? Yes. And against the Buccaneers in the playoffs. Yep. And he just so it the camera just starts on the TV, right? And then he just jumps into the frame and just goes, the Cowboys field goal kicker couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, son. And that's the whole thing. Where usually this guy has like three minutes of content. Just that. Just that. Um, so that just popped into my head. Uh, that's Dylan Covey, though. And we're in an era where there's a lot of position players pitching, where there's a lot of just surrendering the game at some point. And so I think the, the run differential gets ballooned a tad. But like you're saying, it shouldn't be to the extent uh, that it is. But you see, I think the Marlins are, if not leading, among the league leaders in like one run game victories. Yeah. Yes. So, They've been doing it all year. Yeah. They keep it. Uh, if they're winning, they're winning tight. Uh, and if they're losing, you know, they tend to get blown out a little bit. So I think that's really what it what it comes down to. Is that a way to win in October? I I don't know. I mean, you could look at it. Well, they they win when it's when it's tight, or but you know, the consistency is what you would you would like, right? You don't have the uh, the consistency there. So yeah. If I by the way, if there was one thing I could wish, it's that the Giants somehow come back and take this second uh, second wild card, and the Phils have the first. So that Gabe Kapler has to come play a playoff series in Philadelphia. We can just send him home in a two-game sweep, a combined like twenty to seven score. I think the Cubs would be a really intriguing series for you guys. I do. Well, it would be because I think their game one starter would push you guys, and I think they could push for a game one series win there. I really do. With how good Steele's been this year, he'd be good. I don't want to talk about this now because there's nowhere near set in stone. But I'm just right. saying, if this were to shake out how it is now. And I, I think say, it's more than likely going to happen this way. I will say the Phils did sweep the Cubs in Wrigley. And they I believe we took one out of three from them in Philly. I know. They always seem to get your number in Philly. Even last year. Um, they swept you guys with at, the, at Citizen oh, Bank. Oh, believe me, I was there. Uh, yeah. Very upset. However, the, the one glaring exception to that is when we swept them, culminating in the Bryce Harper walk-off Grand Slam. So. How many, wow, was that four years ago already? That feels like yesterday. Yeah, I'm not really counting four years ago. It's One of the new, best moments of my new, life, Jack. It's a new manager and a completely different team. One of the best moments of my life. But yeah, it is shaping up to be Phil's uh, Cubs so far. I believe the Phil's are five games up on the last wild card spot, and Cubs are three and a half now. So Impressive, impressive Chicago has really uh, turned it on as of late. All right, real quick, we got a couple minutes for our first break. I want to talk about one more NL team before we talk about the Phillies a little bit more uh, in depth coming back. I want to talk about the Brewers. I was going to say, is it Milwaukee? 76 and 60, 16 games over. And I feel this has really just sprung upon. They're the team that I, this year that I feel like everybody wrote off. In I the definitely NL. did. In the I NL definitely did, yeah. That has just surged back. And I think they're still flying under the radar a little bit, personally. I don't think people are talking about this team enough. I mean, they have the the top-end pitching rotation talent to scare anyone in the postseason, especially in a wild-card round, with the trio of Burns, Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. By the way, not you, Darvish. Yes. If for <laughs> anyone who's a loyal listener to the show, you know what Mitch is talking about. If not, don't worry about it. Um, it was not a good moment. It was a dark day for So, me. yeah. I mean, back to the Brewers, though. I mean, those top three in the rotation, they're very scary. Yeah. If I was facing the Brewers in a playoff series, it'd be, oh, boy, i got to face these three guys because they're dudes. I mean, they are just monsters are when they take the mound. And it's, then on top of that, you got you know back-end talent. Yeah, Devin Williams and a high-profile closer. Yep. You have a solid bat that you can, you know, look at in yell at who's having a bounce-back season, top 10 in the NL in war. I mean— and the surrounding pieces around them in the lineup aren't liabilities 
So, and you best believe that if somehow it becomes Phillies Brewers in the playoffs, uh, Mark Canna's going to hit five home runs. Exactly. So if they ever have to <laughs> I play, I can't the, believe they so got him. I they, was so upset. If man. they have to play the Phillies, so they have a guy who just loves playing against them. <laughs> he hit so another, much. by the way, this weekend. Yeah, he's been he's been good for them. He's been really good for them. So so what, far, what a welcome deadline addition what for an, the Brewers by what Mark, a loser Mark Canna. Player. So. Oh no. <laughs> Just, that right. will live in my heart in so many positive, like such a positive memory forever in my heart. I just, oh. And then you brought Tyler Sear in and Nemo had another home run. Ah, oh, take me back. I don't even know who Tyler Sear is. Like, I don't know who that guy is. They brought is. him up from AAA, I think, for that game. I think that was his one game. Because I think, wasn't it a doubleheader or something? No, it wasn't. No, it was, uh, oh. I don't know what it was. I think they just needed a guy. Like I think yeah. they just had to put somebody on the injured, got injured list, yeah. and they just called up an extra arm. And he wasn't even like a guy that people were watching from the minors. Like no, there were other no. options. Yeah, they just brought him up. And said, hey, we need an arm. Need a guy who like worst case scenario, he's got to come into the game. And I don't know why. I think they just used everybody. Like it was just a back and forth game. Both well, bullpens was, got taxed, and there was a rain delay. Yeah, there was a rain delay in the eighth inning. Yep, I remember that. So it was ah. Uh, a and fiasco of a game. Coming right out of the rain delay, the Mets tied it. Yep. Ah. Like, first batter. Woo! Yes, sir. Fly ball. Left field. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, Phillies aren't saying that this year. Mets are. And with that, that'll take us into it's our first segue. break of today's show. When we come back, we will dive into how the Phillies are looking, uh, you know, what's going right, what can, what can they improve upon, uh, and much more coming back from our break. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. Here on Heavy Hitters on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR Kutztown. Welcome back into Heavy Hitters on this Labor Day 2023. I'm Mitchell Smedley. He's Jack Heim. And we were talking about the Brewers coming into the break. We're doing some MLB talk here. We'll get to some other stuff shortly. Some football coming right up. Absolutely. We'll dive into week one college football rapid reactions uh, and much more in the college football round. But for now, we're talking about MLB. We're talking MLB. And we're going to jump from the Brewers to the team they beat in a three-game set this weekend. My Philadelphia Phillies got the hat and the quarter zip on today. You're repping. Yeah, I am. Of course. And when you're in the first wild card, why wouldn't you rep? Uh, actually, last year's first wild card didn't do too well. Yeah. We moved past it. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, last year's first wild card didn't do too well. So. By the way, Phillies... Tonight, we'll, uh, we'll begin play in a three-game set against the team that beat the New York Mets last year. All right. And a team that Jack now has uh, has some merch from. <laughs> do you still have that hat? I do. The I want to get, get rid of it. <laughs> I'm, I am shocked you haven't. Like, if someone gave I me, like, a random... If someone gave me, like, a random NFL team, like the... Well, it wasn't just somebody. My dad got it. My dad got it for free when he was out on a business trip at San That's Diego. True. He's like, hey, I got this free hat for you. Want it? I'm like, sure. Yeah. Why not? I feel like back in, like, 2018, if someone gave me, like, a Saints hat, then the Eagles lost to him in the divisional round on a you pass it. that Jeffrey should have caught, by the way. <laughs> I'd like, yeah, next time I'm driving down the highway, just chuck it out the window, something <laughs> like that. I don't like the Saints. So... Uh, anyways. So the Phils, they dropped two or three... In Milwaukee, um, the first game, oh, man. Oh, my goodness. So, Phillies were down 3-1. to one, Proceed to put up four runs in the eighth inning. Uh, capped off by a Trey Turner three-run home run. Go-ahead three-run home run off of Devin Williams, one of the great closers of our time. And proceed to just, you know, <laughs> let's... I have a great idea. Let's uh, put in the guy that can't hold a lead to save his life, Jose Alvarado, who uh, I believe it was Jose. It was. Yep, and he walks in a run, 
with the bases loaded. Make it 5-4. Make it 5-4. Jeff Hoffman comes into the game. Bases loaded, one out. Gets Billy's a strikeout. Okay. I, I don't know why Jeff Hoffman's been doing good this year, but I'm not, like, against it. I just, I don't know. It doesn't feel right to me. Anyways, gets the strikeout. It doesn't feel right. And then induces the ground ball to third base, and Alec Bohm has it go under his glove to clear the bases. 7-5 the final in just a heartbreaking loss. That would be the same score in game two. Uh, Phil's tried to muster a comeback. It didn't work, by the way. Schrober had leadoff home runs both of those games. Go up one nothing in the first and lose both times. And then uh, game How about three. How scoring first? Yeah, it, well, so maybe we just shouldn't, you know, because we didn't for like a month straight. We never scored first. Then the two times we do, we lose. And then uh, game three, it was back-to-back home runs by Alec Bohm. Hey, little redemption there. And JT Romuto is second straight game with a homer. Uh, that was crushed, by the way. Did you see that ball? That was crushed. I believe like 443. Um, high off the uh, the scoreboard out there in the in center field. But uh, speaking of straight games with a home run, after uh, you know laying into him for most of the season, I gotta I gotta give props to one Trey Turner. Had five uh, five games straight with a home run for the Phils, uh, including a two two-homer night in one of those games. He had six homers in five games. This guy's been on a tear recently. It came to a close yesterday, but he did have uh, an RBI single. I believe he also had a... Oh, yeah, no, that was just a single as well that got the rally kind of going for them in the sixth inning. But Trey Turner has been, you know, kicking you-know-what recently, Um, as has... Well, Bryce Harper actually went over in the series. So did Bryson Stott, two guys you rarely see go over in a whole series. Bryce Harper disappearing in a big moment. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is Bedlam at the bank! I know. I made it as a joke. He's huge <laughs> in the playoff yeah, he's, last year. He's like the most clutch athlete I've ever seen. <laughs> that is, yeah. I was. I, I had to be silent for a second. I was like, he has to be joking, right? Like, so. <laughs> okay, actually, real question. More clutch. Nick Foles or Bryce Harper? Ooh. That's tough. I gotta go. If I'm answering the question, it's gotta be Foles. I think he delivered a Super. He Bowl delivered a City. Super Bowl. The first one, by the way, the first ever Super Bowl. Yeah, but like Harper's done it more times. I feel like. For a city by the way, the starved, Phillies. By, but for a city starved for a football championship. I'm aware. I, who has a deeper place in my heart? Probably Nick Foles. But Harper just. I mean, every time he's up in a big spot, you expect something great to happen. Recency bias looms large here. Just saying. Okay. Fair. But uh, also, you have to think about how many great moments Harper's had that the Phillies have wasted. He just, like, this was actually going to be my next point. Can't dispute that. On Wednesday, on Wednesday, which, by the way, thank goodness you couldn't get off work on Wednesday. Because if we had to come in and do a show after the Phillies lost that game, would not have been pretty. Because Bryce Harper, down by one, in the eighth, hits a two-run go-ahead home run for his 300th homer of his career. Big moment. He's like kissing the jersey, giving the curtain call, the whole thing. And then Craig Kimbrell comes in and gives up three runs in the ninth. I feel like that's the most Phillies thing it is. to do. It is. It happened with Trey Turner. Uh, it happened with Bryce that game. It feels like there's there's even other ones that I'm just forgetting about. They love taking big moments and ruining them. They do. Brings me, like, they live for it. it. I feel like there's so many Bryce homers like that this year. Um, even back to last year, like against the Braves, you know, every game against the Braves is big. Down, uh, I, I don't know, we were down one in the ninth. He hit a two-run homer into the chop house. 
and then you know we give it up in the in the ninth. That's okay. I'm not salty about it. No, it doesn't sound like it at all. <laughs> just we we just need to learn how to hold a lead. The bullpen has been shaky. Uh, Jose Alvarado doesn't look like the same pitcher he was early in the season when he was the best reliever in baseball. Sir Anthony looks a little washed as well. Kimbrell looks like he's running out of gas. Why is Jeff Hoffman one of the guys I have the most confidence in? That's upsetting. Okay, this is eerily similar to last year with you. Jeff Hoffman is like this year's Andrew Bellotti. Well, me. true story. Very true story. The bitch actually. was so high on Andrew Bellotti last year. I, I could not for the life of He was of me. good. And then he just he wasn't was good. this year. He was good. I can't deny that, but it's like you you just find these relievers who just pop up out of nowhere to just cling on to. And, and I'm not clinging on to Jeff Hoffman. You're not. I despise Jeff Hoffman, but I feel like we're Would not like gonna, him. I feel like we're not going to give up. You'd, it's weird. It's a weird like love hate relationship because you despise him. He just shouldn't be like. But I don't, you but you, but you can't lie to me. You can't lie to me. You get a calming presence when he comes into the game. Yes, but the, okay. So my problem isn't with Jeff Hoffman. I think. I think the problem is I look at Jeff Hoffman and I go. But it's why, what do you expect Jeff Hoppin to be? No, and I go, but why is it you and it's not, you know, the guys we paid millions of dollars on two exactly. or three year deals? Exactly. To. It's what do you expect Jeff Hoppin to be? You don't expect Jeff Hoffman to be a main successful reliever on your team. No, I don't. I expect Jose Alvarado, Sir Anthony Dominguez. And Jeff Hoffman's career would Craig say that Kimbrell, he's not this. Gregory Soto. Like, I don't I want one of those guys to be the stud that I can really rally behind and go, this is awesome. Yeah. It's not the way it's been. I don't want to look at Jeff Hoffman. It's like, um, it's like if Edmundo Sosa was powering the Phillies' offense. Like that's fantastic, Edmundo. But uh, you know, this it's is kind of how it was in the first half of the year. I want to see Bryce. I want to see Turner. I want to see Schwar- I want to see the big guys do their thing. It's because Jeff Hoffman's not the shiny toy that you brought in to be a you know big guy in this bullpen. You brought Gregory Soto over to be a good guy. You brought Craig Kimbrell over to be a mainstay in the back end of the bullpen. They haven't necessarily been that sustainfully. They've shown their you no. Know, they've shown their flashes. Flashes and Kimbrell was pretty good for good chunk of time yeah yeah he's shown you know the agent the age i hope he just needs some rest wear down i hope he just needs some rest you know and he'll be good to go by the way final phillies point speaking of pitching i I cannot wait for the season to be over but you're gonna make the playoffs to watch aaron nola walk oh okay i can't wait for him to be out of this city and my i have nightmares about us signing him to an extension or giving him a new contract. I have nightmares about it, Jack. It can't happen. It cannot happen. It will not happen. It's going to happen. It will not. I will not allow it to Dave, happen. Dave, you know no, what to do. Dave, Dave, Dave do, not even, do not even think if, about lifting a pen. If you somehow no. are hearing this, Dave, no. you know what to do. No. So. All right. We're going to move on. Uh, I'm going to talk about my Mets for a little bit. Going to keep it brief. Um, not a crazy lot to talk about. By the way, August was the month of DJ Stewart. We called this guy up from AAA, and he can apparently be the guy who we needed all along. Maybe if we called up DJ Stewart back in May, this team would have been okay. Um, just saying. Somehow, someway, that's the way it works out. That's not a baseball name. So, DJ since, by the way, since August 15th, he's batting 358, 9 home runs, 18 driven in, and a 1020 slugging percentage. Whoa. Like, what? That's crazy. This guy was a AAA. It is, it that's is like absurd. Reese Hoskins' numbers when he came up. So he's not DJ, he's Demetrius Jerome Stewart to you. So thank you for what you've done since my birthday, August 15th. Um, DJ Stewart knew it was my birthday, and he knew we had to start turning it on. So That's your present, Jack. Appreciate you, DJ. Um, by the way, another gift is the Mets realizing it would be a disastrous mistake to get rid of Pete Alonso. They've already said they're going to keep Pete next year. 
Uh, and when you have a guy who hits 40 home runs and hits in a home run every 11 and a half at bats, I guess that's not too shabby of an idea to keep him around. Uh, so, hashtag extend Pete, saying that right now. Um, they better make it happen. This is a message to Steve Cohen and the Mets front office. Again, doubt you'll ever hear this. But uh, sign the man, pay the man. Uh, he's the best first baseman I've ever seen put on a Mets jersey in my lifetime. Pete Alonso to Philly? Question mark. <sighs> Absolutely not. If Reese Hoskins walks, you know. Yeah, okay. Dish out another big contract. He's not a free agent at season's end. He's a free agent after next season. Oh. So you can't even make that immediate replacement, I forgot. pal. I so, forgot. As much I thought, wait, I thought Pete Alonso's contract was up after this year. As much as you would wish for Am that I stupid? to happen. Maybe I'm stupid. Nope. You're, you're not stupid. You just didn't know when his contract end. Is there ended. a is so. there a Met whose contract is up after this year? I swore there was. A big one? Yeah, I thought. Maybe I'm not. Yeah. Really? We got Nimmo, McNeil, Lindor locked up. I I'll guess just I'll one just more go. Year. So, uh, and then we got a bunch of young guys. So, yeah, no, nobody really crazy coming off the books. Oh, man. I mean, we're going to fill in some starting pitching, but that's, like, kind of the main thing. And, you know, some bullpen pieces, too. But, yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, How tragic, out of the Mets. How tragic. By the way, love Francisco Lindor. Made a big-time defensive play yesterday. Flashing the other short. Pairing up with recently called up Ronnie Mauricio for a double play. Finally, finally the Mets decided to give, give this kid a chance. I mean, he's only been raking at AAA since the start of the season. But, you know, I'm not an MLB executive. What do I know? Why would I call the kid up? Anyway, uh, hits his first MLB hit, 117-mile-an-hour double Whoa. to right field. Yeah, only slightly hard hit. Uh, then he had a 110-mile-an-hour single that same series. Ronnie's been uh, killing it ever since he's been calling up. Uh, since he's been called up, the baby Mets reunited, being Alvarez, Vientos, Beatty, and Mauricio, all at the big league level, all showing what they can do uh, down the stretch of the season through late August and in September. So excited to see what they can do, how they develop, where they're going to play, uh, all that fun stuff going into next year. But uh, yeah, all I got on the Mets, and unless you have anything else on baseball, I you mean, you think we'll- next year's going to be a good year for y'all? I'm really just waiting to see what we do in the offseason. What front office moves. I mean, we fired four guys uh, that have pretty significant roles in the organization. They're not going to be talked about. Um, It's, you know, I'm trying to pull up who got fired, by the way. There it is. Pro scouting director, pro scouting director, uh, Jeff LeBeau, farm director Kevin Howard, performance director Jim Cavallini, and baseball development director Brian Hayes have all been let go by the Mets organization. And, of course, you can't forget Kodai Sangu, who's been the the main uh, guy at the top of the Mets rotation. Only top five in the NL and ERA. Kodai, shout out. First year in the MLB, you've been nothing short of fantabulous. Um, that's not a word, but I thought it was kind of cool, so let's go with it. It's been some fantastic and fabulous. So. Can't confuse the man. He's trying to learn the language. We're going with it. <laughs> We're going with it. Uh, Sanga, yes, has been the best pitcher for the Mets this year. And uh, by the way, the Phillies really, I got a guy they should really, really take a look at getting. Carlos Carrasco. Good name. Another former Met. Go get him. He's been nothing short of fantastic this year. Sarcasm implied. He's been horrible. Um, All right. Yeah, by the way, one more point on Pete. If they extend him, he will cruise to being the Mets' all-time franchise leader in home runs. Really? So, yeah, I think Daryl Strawberry, Strawberry is the leader. I think he's got 254 That's it. as the all-time leader, I think. Huh. Maybe he's got more than that. Not He's not over 300. I know he's in the 200 at some point, but I think it's 254. Gotcha. So. By the way, totally understand the... Uh... 252. Darn, I was too off. I think the uh, the Alec Bohm play. That was so close. Was uh, comparable to the Buckner play. At no, base. dude. Yep. No. Yep. One was in the World Series. Another one was in an August regular season game. 
You cannot. I see you Technically, laughing. Technically, it was September. Technically, <laughs> whatever. One was in game six of the World Series. Two lose them that game. The other one is in a late August, early September game. Whatever you want to call it. Was it. September 2nd. Whatever. September first, 2nd. September 1st. Uh, September 1st against the Brewers yeah. at American Family Field. So, whatever. Anyway, um, we got another dozen baseball. AR race is kind of staying the same. Not a whole lot to talk about there. The Rays, Boring. The Rays, Astros, and Rangers still holding it down right now. The Blue Jays hit a game and a half back of Houston for that third spot. So, they're the only threat uh, to either of those three teams to jump in. But uh, And then the division winners staying the same. The Orioles still lead the East. Twins are in the Central. Cleveland trying to catch them. I don't think they will, but they have a shot. Uh, and then the West, those three teams being the Mariners, Astros, and Rangers, going to hold it down with the Angels and Athletics being the measly non-competitive teams that loom behind them. Poor Angels, man. Yeah. Ooh. Talk about the flurry of horrific de- Maybe the worst trade of the deadline of all time. Everybody they traded for, they let go. They waved Dominic Leone. They waved Gritchick. They waved Crone. They waved Matt Moore, one of their better relievers. Really puzzling move Ex there. Philly. They waved Lucas Giolito. Yep. Um, and I think there might have been one. Yeah, what more. was with him? Ronaldo like, Lopez. Did I miss? Like, why are they waving all these guys? Get under the luxury tax. Oh, they want to get. Oh, that, I did so see they don't got to pay yep. those penalties. I did see, and they that. didn't because Randall Gritchick never got picked up. <laughs> so they, were, I think, they were like two mil over. So adding insult to injury. That's ridiculous. They're over the luxury tax, and now teams so. in the in the hunt are going to be picking these guys up. They already been picked up. Giolito, yeah, Moore, and I believe Lopez were all claimed by Cleveland. Yeah. Um, I don't know where Chrome went. I forget. Going. This is all merely going off the top of my head. Uh, but those guys were all claimed. I think Gritchick was the only Renfro and. Renfro went to the Reds. He was another one who got let go. And Harrison Bader who got weighed by the Yankees. Both going to the Reds there. So, um, yeah. A lot of guys were on the move. A lot of guys got claimed. Some guys didn't. Uh, it's just the way it goes. But, uh, yeah. Anything else about baseball, Mitch, before we move on? I don't think so. I think we hit everything. Oh, no. One more thing. The Dodgers. Oh, yes. Big time story breaking out today. Uh, Julio Arias was arrested earlier today on uh, charges of domestic violence. Another... Dodgers pitcher gets caught up in a you know, domestic violence scandal. Trevor Bauer, of course, mm-hmm. a couple years back. Uh, now it's Julio Arias, and it's huge because you know not only just on the field, of course, you know that stuff. You know, being an impending free agent at season's end, but of course, obviously off the field, a very serious situation uh, that shouldn't be taken lightly. Uh, and you know, if you know proven on these charges, will be dealt with some serious repercussions to suspension, uh, and you know could. Maybe never pitch in the league again, depending on how serious the situation. Yeah. This is again just breaking out. This is just coming to the light, uh, you know, in the national, you know, spotlight here. So we'll we'll see how this all develops. But right now, uh, Arias is in some hot water for sure, and we'll we'll see how this whole situation develops. But he was arrested earlier today on charges of domestic violence. So um, crazy how I feel like this stuff just happens. Too much. Yeah, it's it's way too much. I mean, you know, he was uh, the uh, only uh, other details I'd add there. He was arrested, released on, I believe, $50,000 bond. And the Dodgers have said that he is not traveling with the team. And that at this time they have they are trying to get all the facts and they have no further comment. So, you know, understandable that they're trying to work through everything. Understandable. He's not traveling with the team. Um, all you can hope that is the organization handles it properly, and all you can hope is that agreed. You know, um, justice finds its finds its way. Absolutely, you know, couldn't whatever, agree with you more. Whatever Mitch. that looks like. So, so. And one more thing, by the way, as the Wander Franco situation just disappeared, uh, I heard that there was another case that came up 
So well. did I, but I've heard nothing else since. I've heard nothing since. So, like, isn't that a little bit bizarre? It is odd. Maybe there's just nothing else like usually to Usually when multiple allegations come out, it gets settled, I wouldn't say, you know, very quickly, but you would see something else, I would say more recently than we have seen something about him, right? Am I wrong about that? Um, I don't know. I... Like so in terms of, you know, they're figuring out, uncovering more about the situation, at least. They, they got to be uncovering. Is there an open investigation into it or I don't is it just allegations? Again, I think it's just merely allegations at this point. I think they're looking into it. But again, I mean, I know that all, some both these situations, I believe, happened in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. So I believe their government and their, you know, authorities are looking into what's going on. But yeah, I, I, I just find it a little strange that nothing else has come out. I know that sometimes that you can't. Report things out of yes, out exactly. of uh, privacy. Yeah, things like that. But confidentiality. I believe, it is for the odd. Person. Yeah. So so it is weird. It is weird. Usually yeah. you hear something about uh, no. someone near uh, close to the situation heard this. Exactly. Or, like you'd see an insider report something else that like a source you know leaked another piece of information. But yep. I've seen. I, I heard the multiple people report the allegations, and I've heard nothing since. So I just find it not even like a minor details come to the light today. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's just me. All right. Well, we are going to step aside. Final break of hour number one. When we come back, we will shift our focus into week one of college football. Plenty to talk about and break down there. We'll talk about Penn State, Florida State, and a lot of the other big games that happened over the weekend. And then we'll wrap it up by previewing, or wrap up our college football talk, I should say, by previewing Clemson and Duke. That's 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, two of the top ACC schools from a year ago going at it to wrap up week one of college football. So don't go anywhere. Plenty more to talk about here on Heavy Hitters on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. And we're back here on Heavy Hitters on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Kutztown, Jack High, Mitchell Smedley rolling on with you through our number one. What's up, fools? <laughs> rolling with just under 16 minutes here at our number one. We talked all things MLB. Took a deep dive on some of the top teams in the NL, teams in the wild card race, and we touched upon the AL race. Not really a whole lot changing over there. Uh, but now we got to talk about college football. Week one started on Thursday night. We'll take a look at Florida, Utah, real quick, not taking a big deep dive into that one. I said quarterback play would be a big part of it, as is every football game that's ever played. But especially because Utah didn't have their star quarterback, Cam Rising. They go to Bryson Barnes, the backup who's a junior. Played a little bit before, but has never been the full you know starter of a game. He's never had to start a game. But here he is, and he stepped in, and man, did he make fireworks happen on the first play of their season. Takes a deep shot on a play-action pass, finds Money Parks, a 70-yard touchdown for the Utes to get it started. That would kind of define how this game would go for Florida. So the two Utes. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, that's a great movie reference. So It's my favorite movie. My cousin Vinny. Moving on. The two Utes. What is a Ute? It has. I gotta watch my cousin Vinny again. I've been a while since I've seen it. You so. gotta come over one weekend. We'll watch it. So that can happen. Yeah, after some college football, you know. All right. Final score of this game would end up being twenty-four eleven. Ute uh, Florida added on a late score uh, that made it this way. But that offense looked horrific all night. I mean. They had a you know a flash late in the first quarter, early in the second, where they put a couple of good drives together, made one field goal, and missed the second. But penalties really hurt this Florida team. And there's no penalty. There's rarely a situation where taking a penalty is a good thing. 
But the pre-snap penalties make your coach lose their mind. And that's what Florida did all night. They pre-snap penalties, false starts, illegal formations. On a punt, they had two guys on the field wearing the same number. My goodness. Fourth and five. No, no, no. I think it was a, yeah, fourth and five or fourth and three, one of the two. I see a penalty marker go down. I'm like, huh, well, what's the penalty for? Penalty kicking team, two guys on the field wearing the same number, five-yard penalty, automatic first down. I'm like, I have never seen this before in my life. And I've watched a decent amount of football. Never have seen that before ever. So it was just that kind of game for Florida. Billy Napier must have been ready to rip his hair out. Uh, It was putrid. Graham Mertz goes for 333 yards, one touchdown, one pick, 44 attempts, 31 completions. Uh, He was getting hit all night, though. Uh, I believe Utah had five sacks on the game. Uh, Yes, five sacks as a team. They were getting to Mertz early. They got to him often. Offensive line proved little to no help, especially that right tackle, Damian George. They tra- The transfer from Alabama came in. I mean, he was getting burnt consistently. Uh, and Mertz just had not a lot to work with. So for Florida, where do you go, where do you go from here if you're, if you're the Gators? You go back home. It was a putrid effort, disgusting, not what you expected at all in year two under Billy Napier. It just looked like a team who was so disjunct, so disconnected, a lot of miscommunications, not a lot of guys on the same page at all. And I get that. You're incorporating a new quarterback and a new offense compared to what he ran up at Wisconsin, which was a run-first offense. Not a lot of pressure on the quarterback to deliver big plays through the air. And it's a complete dynamic switch. Billy Napier is all about throwing the football, as you saw in the 44 pass attempts, mostly because they were forced to throw the ball because they were trailing all night. But it's like, I don't know. I don't know how you get this back on track so quickly. I mean, they're going to have... I, let me take a look at their upcoming schedule. I believe they've got a tune-up game. Oh, no. they. Oh, yes, they do. They do. They get McNeese at home next week. So that's an easy win. Never before. even heard of McNeese. Yeah, McNeese State. So they'll welcome them in. Should be a easy game. They'll roll. They'll win. Before they welcome in Tennessee week three. Oh. So uh, that's not going to be an easy game at all, even though it's at the Swamp. I don't know. I think it could be another rough year for the Gators in store. I really do. I think they'll you know push for a bowl game. Their over-under projected wins was five and a half to start the season. Would have been nice to have this one, but played nowhere near good enough to win it. On the flip side for Utah, Bryson Barnes, you know, did enough. 12 of 18, 159 yards, one touchdown. Kyle Whittingham, the the head coach for the Utes, longtime head coach for the Utes, didn't ask him to do a whole lot outside of that 70-yard touchdown throw. Just was a game manager, controlled the game, didn't turn the ball over, and that's really all that Utah needed because their defense didn't allow Florida's offense to get a whole lot going. Uh, rushing attack, Nate Johnson, their backup, their third-string quarterback, really, but the backup of this game, both got playing time, was a huge factor on the ground, 45 yards and a touchdown, including a, how long was the yardage? i got to check that. 27-yard run. I knew it was right around 30 uh, early in the second quarter that made it 14-3. Again, not a whole lot to talk about. It was a sloppy game. Florida's offense looked terrible. 24-11, the Utes win without their star quarterback, Cam Rising, and get revenge for their loss last year down in the Swamp against the Gators in this home-and-home series. All right, moving on. Outside of Thursday games, I'm only on top 25. That's why I can't see any other Thursday games as I'm looking at it on my laptop. I'm like, huh, that's not the only Thursday game that was played. (laughs) Wonder why, what's going on here, but I figured it out. Nebraska and Minnesota is the only other Thursday night game we're going to touch upon. 13-10, two Big Ten West teams going at it, and Minnesota got the late win on a Dragon Kessich 47-yard field goal to walk it off. Uh, and row the boat is uh, P.J. Fleck and the Gophers. 
uh, with that win. Again, this has been how Nebraska's lost games a lot of the time over the past couple of years. Late, just heartbreaking losses, and it's a one-possession game. Is this totally on Matt Rule in my estimation? No. It takes a lot to change a culture. It's not going to happen fast. This is his first game in Nebraska. I know Mitch you know, thinks I over throughout the word culture, but it's important. You need a team who's got the same goal in mind, playing to the mentality of their head coach, and you're seeing some you know, rollover from the Scott Frost time. This is a Nebraska team that lost nine one-score games a year ago. Very, very close to it being a completely different story and Scott Frost still being the head coach in Nebraska. Not the case. They lost all of those games. And it rolls over into week one of 2023. I think it's not going to be a good year for Nebraska. I think it's going to take time. But in due time, Matt Rule's proven he can be a good coach at previous stops before. Was a very good coach at Temple. Did very good things at Baylor. Got into a Big 12 championship game in his time down there. He's a good coach. He'll figure it out. But you got to give him time. And that's something that fan bases aren't really too passionate about. I was in that camp. I, I was not a fan of giving Mike Norvell time to figure it out. But boy, am I glad I did. And we'll talk about the Knowles a bit later on. That's going to be coming up in hour number two. Just because we are about just under eight minutes away from the end of the hour. But... It takes time for coaches to get their system, get their culture, get their ideologies in place, get the right guys in the door, not only coaches, but player personnel. It's not going to be a quick fix, in Nebraska, quick fix at Nebraska. There's programs where you can quickly fix things. This is not one of them. It's going to take time. It's going to take a couple years before they truly figure it out and get themselves back to being, I think, a top 25 team. Uh, but, you know, you got to go through the growing pains, and that's just ultimately what's going to have to happen. And you know, maybe losing some of these heartbreakers is... You know, going to happen along the way. But I think it ultimately is what has to happen if you want to get back to where you want to be and take the necessary steps to go through that. Uh, I lived as a Forest State fan. 2021 was brutal. We lost to an FCS team, Jacksonville State. I remember they threw a Hail Mary to win the game. I was in shambles. I was getting clowned on by everybody I knew that knew I was a big Florida State fan. They're like, ha, 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 you just lost to this FCS team who came into your building and beat you on a Hail Mary to end the game. It was embarrassing. It was disgusting. I was... I don't know if there was a lower point for me as a sports fan than that, just because of you know the sheer magnitude of that loss. You should never lose a game to that team for Florida State as your main Power Five team, but they did. And for Nebraska fans, you know Minnesota is nowhere near on the realm of Jacksonville State, but these type of losses are what gets you, you know, it it, it makes you feel like it's terrible. It's a terrible feeling. It's only something you can describe by feeling and not in words. Words don't do it justice. And Nebraska fans have had plenty of these feeling games over the past several years. But I have confidence Matt Rule can get them out of that out of this dark, dark place and get it back to being a team who can compete uh, out in the Big Ten, uh, you know, with the divisions being scrapped next year for the realignment. So Nebraska, I believe there's brighter days ahead for you. The present might be terrible, but uh, in due time, I think they will compete again. Any comments, Mitch? I know Matt Rule's your guy. You like the Panthers. I like him. I th- well there. Honestly, I thought... Um... How long was was it? One or two years? Two years, right? I believe Panthers. so. Yeah, two years isn't a lot of time. No. I, I liked, I liked his coaching style. Um, I think Matt Rule's a good coach. I think he's better suited for the college game. But I agree. With I him absolutely agree. He's better suited for the college game. Um, I, I did like him though, and I still do like him. And I think give this uh, a couple of years, Nebraska's going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be back on their feet. So, like you said, a lot of uh, one possession losses. You know, those one-possession losses start turning into one-possession wins. Exactly. Um, you know, you figure out how to win. Some teams, it's just hard to figure out how to win. Exactly. And Nebraska right now is in a culture state 
Were they mm-hmm. finding ways to lose game and not finding ways to lose games and not finding ways to win games? Right, and that'll change. I believe under Matt Rule, it will exactly. But you in, know, in due time, it's there's coaches there that you know have struggled with this. There's players there that have struggled with this. That you know, it gets it gets in your head at some point of oh, we're gonna lose again by one score, and then you try to do too much. You you're tense not, up. You're not operating as a unit, and then you fall apart. Right? You get in your head. You tense up. Absolutely. You say, you know, we haven't been here before. We haven't won the close games before as a group. And you, you just you just falter. You, you make the mental mistakes. The simple plays become tough plays. And yep. it's just, it's that mental block you just got to shake. And truly, I believe when you see a close game go your way, it that's changes something you things. Can, it changes things. And that's something you can really, really build upon. Eagles 2017. You know the game that turned that season into what it was? It was week three. It was, you know, because this is the Eagles team that always lost the heartbreaker, right? Always lost, you know, close games and everything. 2016, we had some blowout losses in there, but we lost a lot of close games. Uh, And, you know, it was Carson Wentz's second year. And the thing that turned that season around that made it feel special was Jake Elliott's 61-yard field goal to beat the Giants. I'm sorry. I forgot you were a Giants fan for a hot second. I knew where you were going with that, too. As soon as you brought me to I was like, I know this game. I know it. But that... Just, you know, Carson Wentz standing on the sideline. I'll give him my game check if he makes this. That built, that that brought that team closer together. It is one of those moments where I do have to say, culture did play a factor in that team. Uh, and then they, you not know. the only team whose culture's played a big part. No, in, it's every, not. Every championship team has a good culture, just so just so you're aware of there. Okay. I know Mitch isn't a big believer in the whole culture thing, playing a difference. It plays a huge difference. It's, eh. It's there. Wait, okay, <laughs> it's there. Dude. Are you going to read the notebook? We've, we've had this debate before. Go read your little notebook, buddy. Yeah, i got to do that. I got caught up in talking about Nebraska. Quite about your culture. culture. So, Attention to KU students. Have you heard about KU Bears grant funding? The purpose of the KU Bears program is to support faculty student research pairs over the summer. The goals are for undergraduate students to develop the necessary skill set to become student researchers and to provide faculty members with paid student research assistance. Undergraduate students selected for the program will receive summer pay for research tasks assigned by a faculty supervisor. By assisting faculty members in their research, students selected for the program will obtain the knowledge and skills necessary for conducting advanced research in their field. To apply and learn more about KU Bears grant funding, please visit www.cutsdown.edu slash UGRC and look under grants and sponsored projects. Once again, that website, www.cutsdown.edu slash UGRC and look under grants and sponsored projects. This message of community interest brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Back here, wrapping it up in hour number one. Heavy hitters, Jack I, Mitchell Smedley, rolling along with you on this Labor Day. Hope it's been a good weekend for you. Hope you're enjoying the day off of work and the holiday. All right. Just one more point about that uh, that close game thing. Yeah. I know it's... It's a different sport, but in baseball, I believe two of the teams last year that led the league in one-run losses, I believe it was the Orioles, uh, and I think the Marlins were up there too. Where are those teams now? You know, after fighting through that and in building on, you know, the players and coaches they had in the buildings. Bingo. Orioles leading their division. Marlins fighting for a playoff spot. Marlins now one of the league leaders in one-run games. There you have it, Mitch. There you have it. Great point, my friend. Thank you. All right. Rolling on. We're going to Saturday games. Friday, not a whole lot to talk about. I mean, Michigan State looked pretty subpar against Central Michigan. Yes, they won 31-7. It is not a 31. You think of a 31-7 game, you think of a blowout. It was not that. It was... I think of the NFC Championship game. It was 17-7 going into the fourth quarter, and they just tacked on a couple more scores. So, all right. Um... 
moving on, Saturday games, like I mentioned, real quick. Uh, we are going to have to step aside in just one minute, so I'll briefly start talking about it. Uh, Ohio State at Indiana, 23-3. Don't get it twisted. Ohio State did not look good in this game at all. Uh, the offense looked out of, you know, out of sorts. Quarterback play wasn't really great. Good. They don't have an elite quarterback this year to lean on like they did with CJ Stroud last year. I mentioned they're going to have to play more complimentary football on the Wednesday show. They didn't really do that. Marvin Harrison had two catches in this game, and against Indiana, I would expect a lot more. I would expect to route Indiana. Didn't shake out that way. Ohio State got the win very unconvincingly. But, again, there's people overreacting saying, oh, this Ohio State team's not going to do anything this year. They only won 23-3 against Indiana. They should have routed them. I'm not going to overreact and say that. It's week one. Teams look completely different in week one than they do in week 10. That's just the way football works. Teams, Some teams come out hot out of the gate. Some teams come out slow. And some of the teams that come out slow look like some of the best teams in the country at the end of the year. And some of the teams that come out with a, with a fast start look terrible because they run out of gas. All right. Well, I will touch more on that point in hour number two. We're going to step aside uh, when we come back. More college football talk ahead here on Heavy Hitters. On Labor Day, Mitchell Smedley, Jack Heim here for hour number two. We are talking all things college football week one. We touched on MLB in hour number one. And we'll get uh, we'll get to some NFL, right? Yeah, we will. Yeah. Yeah, more in the back half hour too, but we'll get into some, yeah. some NFL stuff too. For sure. We got to talk about some more games. We got to preview Clemson Duke. Duke. Uh, <laughs> don't ask me why I did that. But uh, Jack... You asked me how I'm doing at hour number one. How are you doing? How was your Labor Day weekend? Good, good. Had some family in town. Good time. And I'll talk about what made it even better. Uh, is coming up here and previewing. Oh, not previewing. Recapping the games from week one. <clears throat> Sorry. It's okay. I'll tickle my throat there. So It's way shocking that you had the first voice crack of the day. I know. Compared to me, who's so. dealing with uh, some ailments in the, uh, what do they call those? Ear, nose, and throat region? Yeah. ENT, EN, yeah, an ENT specialist, right? Correct. That's a thing. I know my doctors. You do, yeah. Best doctor of all is Regs. <laughs> Shout to out the, Regs if you're listening. To the chagrin of of some. <laughs> <laughs> Regs, if you are listening, I think you're a great doctor, a radio doctor, if you will. <laughs> the doctor of cool jazz. Yeah, exactly. Cool Jazz Weekly. Shout out. Yep. When plays, that airs, I forget. Plays SBA and <laughs> yes, we did. hour number one. So yeah, I should have listened. It got some airtime. Yeah, it did. To promote the show. Moving on. All right, back to college football. I'm sorry, Mitch. You're you getting a drink. I just heard that in my headphones. And What's it that? Made me laugh. I thought I turned away. So you did, but I don't think enough. All right, back to, to college football. Just enough a bit outside. Goofing around here. Yeah. Uh, looking at the top 25 teams, they did pretty well in week one. Not a lot of upsets there. I mean, Ole Miss dismantles Mercer 73-7. to Oklahoma just wallops Arkansas State 73 to nothing. Wisconsin. Whoa, really? Holy smokes. Did not struggle with Buffalo 38-17. Tanner Mordecai's first game for the Badgers. Luke Fickle's coaching debut up in Wisco at Camp Randall Stadium. Badgers go to want to know there. Uh, biggest game, though. I mean, arguably the biggest game of the weekend. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, making his Power 5 coaching debut with the Buffs of Colorado. They rolled in a Fort Worth, Texas. Shadur Sanders, his kid, throws for 510 yards, four touchdowns, school record. First game as Colorado quarterback. Sets the school That's record crazy. for passing yards in a game. 
510, these schools couldn't play a lick of defense if no. they tried. No. Um, if you had the over in this game, well, congrats to you. It didn't take a whole lot of effort to go over. Except for um, uh, Travis Hunter. Yeah, Travis Hunter. What a guy. Got to talk about him. Shohei Otani of football. You could say that. Best player on the field for Colorado on offense. Best player for Colorado on the field on defense. Well, 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 pump the brakes. Dylan Edwards. Dylan Edwards was incredible, too. I mean, it's clear that you had your eye keened in on this game. I, yes. I, I, I thought this game was fantastic. It was. It was thrilling to watch, I'll tell you that. I mean, you did not want to take your eyes off this game if you are watching. Uh, I mean... Well, I wanted to see how Dion did, you know? I'm a Dion guy. I do have some concerns, though, for Colorado. Oh, <laughs> All of the defense? <laughs> All the defense, and they could not run the ball for their lives. Yeah, yeah. 34 carries for 55 yards and two yeah, touchdowns. That's that not good. I'll save you doing the math. That's 1.6 yards per carry. <laughs> that's putrid. That's like, why even bother handing it off anymore? Like, really? I mean, why bother handing it off? You know what's amazing is that at that rate, they still tried to run it 34 times. I know. Maybe after like 15 or 20, you're like, this isn't working. Huh. Maybe we should deviate away from this <laughs> and go to what's working being our pass game. So, Which they did quite a bit of as well. Yeah, four receivers going over 100 yards. I would say they did that quite well. Yeah. Dylan Edwards, five catches, like the aforementioned Dylan Edwards from Mitch, five catches, a buck 35, three tutties. He's like my new favorite player in college football. Formerly committed to Notre Dame. Coach Prime got in a flip at the last second, and he absolutely puts on a clinic in his first game. It's the Dion effect for bro. Colorado. So, pulled in a bunch of these guys. Congrats to Coach Prime on his first win. Proving the naysayers, the underdog, uh, the that under embracing that underdog mentality, proving the naysayers and the haters wrong. Um, they they took that twenty and a half point spread favored for TCU and said, "Is that yeah, really how much it was?" Yeah, okay, you can wow. doubt us. You can doubt us. We're going to prove you wrong, and they did. Credit to them. All the power to them. They they draw Nebraska at home next week. It'll be Coach Prime's first game and in Boulder. That game's going to be a sellout. There's no doubt about it. Um, the hype around Colorado is real. I it's. You know, are they going to be able to trade enough points in every game to win? I'm not sure. But, yeah, I was very impressed with what this offense was able to do. Again, can they run the ball enough? You're not going to be able to throw 510 yards on a team every week. You're not. You're, no, not, going to, you're not going to play TCU defenses every week. You know, the Pac-12 has some some very talented rosters. And it'll be fun to see Colorado go toe-to-toe with them. Now, this team will probably make a bowl game. You know, they draw Nebraska, Colorado State, a couple very winnable games. After that, you know, in, in September, they'll wrap it up by going to Oregon. Um, good luck. I don't think they're winning that game. But if you would have told me, uh, then they draw USA. Oh, boy. All right. So by the end of September, they'll be 3-2 and two in my estimation. I would have told you they would be 1-4 and four at the end of the month. I thought flipped the first the year, they would have lost to TCU, probably would have lost to Nebraska. They open up as three-and-a-half-point favorites in that game. I think that line goes up, in my personal opinion. Oh, yeah. Not that Nebraska's bad, but I just think of how impressive Colorado looked offensively. I think it will be a little bit overwhelming for that Nebraska defense, who did look good against Minnesota, mind you, but they did not face a quarterback like Shadur Sanders. So, By the way, another quick note on this game. Uh, I think my fa- one of my one of my favorite uh, announcer moments came out of this game. when uh, Gus Johnson. When Gus Johnson called a missed field goal incomplete. He was. He did not have <laughs> his finest off. game. He was not on. In he that did game. not have his finest. No. Game. And also, you could clearly tell who he wanted to win because anytime Colorado scored, touchdown Colorado, Dylan Edwards. Yeah. And then, and then when TCU, TCU scored, scored, touchdown Horn Frogs. 
Touchdown, Horn Frogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't even say back. Horn Frog. He said Horn Frogs. Horn Frogs. <laughs> like the, like, I can't even imitate how he's, but it was like, you know how most people like. Touchdown, Horn Frogs. Yeah. The, <laughs> and it's going to be third and five for the Horn Frogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's not how you say that, but okay. You just put so much emphasis on there. the frogs. Yeah. It should exactly. go on the horn. It's like my mom calls uh, ball bearings, ball bearings. <laughs> I think it's funny how people just have their personal words that yeah. they just emphasize a part of so much. I think it's funny. So you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> All right, it's the epitome of enough, idiocy. Enough of that epitome. Darn it! Enough of this. All right. Um, that made you laugh. I knew it would. Fresno State pulls a big upset on Purdue. Uh, up in West Lafayette. By I Lynch. was surprised by that. I mean, Fresno State put on a clinic. 366, oh my goodness, 366 yards through the air, four touchdowns to one interception um, for, for their quarterback. I believe his name is Michael Keene. I'm pulling up that box score as it stands. It just says M, doesn't even tell me his first name. Thanks a lot. Didn't I, I'm flipping back and forth through a lot of the 12 o'clock games. Uh, didn't fully get to watch this whole game, but I saw glimpses. Mikey Keene, I was close. Oh wait, it was Michael. Yeah, they just call him Mikey. All right, I was right. Four touchdowns, 366 yards. Very good game for him. Um, again, another team that just was not efficiently able to run the ball, but they didn't need to. Uh, only 3.1 yards per carry. One touchdown, that was by uh, Malik Sherrod. But the Bulldogs roll and get a win on the road, 39-35 over Purdue. Good for them uh, out of the Mountain West. That's a solid win for them as a conference if you're looking at it. On uh, their top receiver, Eric Brooks, nine catches, 170 yards, two touchdowns. What a game for him. So Fresno State, 1-0, impressive road win. Uh, looking up upcoming schedule for them. They got Eastern Washington out of the big sky. Then they get Arizona State, Kent State, Nevada. Very favorable start. Could be a good year for cooking for the Bulldogs out in the Mountain West for the conference that's kind of in the balance. It's up, it's up for grabs and up for the taking. So we'll see how they do. Big win for them. Over Purdue, we're going to go to another Power 5 team who looks dreadful. And that's Boston College. Congratulations. You lost at home to Northern Illinois. Not even close on the same level as, Fre- level as Fresno State. So Boston College, who looks to be one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country this year, could be last year's Colorado. Really could. I mean, it, you know, finding wins for this Boston College team is hard now that they lost this game. Thought this was a little more. Then they got Holy Cross next week. And you might be saying Holy Cross. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, they're not a bad FCS team. They were in the FCS playoffs last year, so... I don't, I'm not going to say Boston College is on upset alert, but I would not be totally saying wow if they lost that game. So just keep it on your radar. Real quick, though, before we get back into college football talk, message from the KRO Notebook. Attention KU students, did you know undergraduate research and creativity gives you many of the resources needed to publish and present your work at regional, national, or international levels? To learn more, please visit www.kutztown.edu slash UGRC. You can also stay up to date on conferences and publication opportunities by following UGRC on Instagram at UGRC underscore KU. This message of community interest is brought to you by the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. All right, rolling back into college football talk, hour number two of heavy hitters here on this Labor Day special. So glad to be on the airwaves with you today. Yes, we are. I actually got to head right home after this. I got a fantasy football draft at 8 o'clock, so Ooh. I'm going to be pushing it close. What got pick a, are you? About a 40-minute drive home. Got ninth pick. Ninth, that's what I had. So, that's what I had. I wound up with uh, Cooper Cup. Won't be making that mistake, and that's not your fault. You think the, that's a mistake? Yeah, I think that hamstring injury is worse than they're leading on. Ooh. Just my personal opinion. That's not good. So, I'm sorry. Again, you didn't know. That's that, that, this is why... 
a disclaimer real quick before we get back into it. You should not draft your fantasy football team, in my estimation, before the last week of August or the first week of September. Because these type of late injuries can break out, you know, can pop up from these star players. That's when I did it. I did it like eight days ago. Eight days ago. That's still a little early, in my opinion. I'm sorry, Jack. I failed you. It's okay. It's not your fault. You're not the commissioner. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Commissioners it across America. This yeah. is a message to you. That's It's frustrating. But, you know. Leading up to Labor Day weekend, like the week... Yeah, I guess he didn't do it too, too early, which is fine, but I don't know. It just puts you in a tough spot for the rest of the season. We'll see if he can rebound. Again, this is just my personal opinion that he's not going to be he's gonna be out longer than just week one. You think? So, uh, again, that's just my humble opinion. Hamstring injuries linger. You need to rest. Uh, it's it's weird. It, they're just, they're, you know, it's like them groin injuries. Like, you see baseball players get groin injuries. Those linger. They, they, they take weeks to months you know to get fully back to what they were i just don't love the optics of it just me personally yeah no i get it so gonna have to fill in michael pittman yeah and i'd much rather cooper cup than michael pittman well so would anybody michael pittman rebound year we'll see i have faith we we shall problem is my my next receiver so i'm gonna have pittman and lockett as my receivers and then i'll have uh on the bench my next my next receiver up would be juju smith schuster Interesting. So we're not looking. Supposedly, good. bad report about his knee came out, and I drafted him in the eleventh round of my draft. So of course, right there with you, pal. All right, uh, next game, Texas State rolls in a Waco and upsets Baylor forty-two thirty-one. Texas State out of the Sun Belt. Good for them. I feel like that's an upset that's not getting talked a whole lot about. Rough weekend for the Big Twelve. Wyoming also beat Texas Tech. Uh, so a couple of teams that are towards the top, and Texas Tech is a team I was high on. Uh, lose on the opening weekend, so. Yes. A great weekend for the Pac-12, 13-0. I believe the first conference to go undefeated in a weekend, in a week, and quite some time. I forget. I heard the stat. I forget what year, but great weekend for the Pac-12 in their, in their last year as a conference in terms of just having the current members that do now. Only two teams remain for next year, so uh, we'll see how they fill that in or if they just completely dissolve. Yeah, but Texas State beats Baylor 42-31. Kudos to them. We'll shout out Wyoming as well for taking down Texas Tech. By the way, fun fact, Wyoming, highest elevation stadium in college football, over 7,000 feet altitude there. Really? So, learn something new every day. And they were talking about the Thursday Night Florida Utah game as Utah is over 5,000 feet in elevation at Rice Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City. In Wyoming, over 7,000 feet in altitude there. Must have a lot of mountains. So, uh, yeah, they do call it the, uh, you know, the Mountain the, West. It is the Mountain Time Zone out mountain there for time a reason. Mountain Time Zone. Yeah. Mountain West, Mountain Time Zone. It is a fitting name for a reason. All right. Moving on one more time, we're going to get to the more of the, the big-time games here. We're going to talk top 25 from the night slate. Penn State, we're going to go there. Happy Valley. Drew Aller shines in his first start in terms of it being his team. With Sean Clifford out the door after what feels like a decade with him there. Yeah, He's forever. out. Drew Aller, first start, 38-15. Penn State wins over West Virginia. I thought it was a little bit of an underwhelming game for Penn State. Yeah, I wasn't impressed. Was Offensive impressed. line didn't look great. You know, yeah, didn't have a lot of time. And and you know, a lot of the preseason hype. You know, my brother's a big Penn State fan, and I was asking because I didn't. You know, I didn't watch a lot of the game. I watched about the first quarter, and then I went upstairs, and you know, me and my cousin had a Madden tournament against each other while he was down watching the Penn State game. And I asked him, "What what were your thoughts? Just you know, take 
Phantom away and just, you know, give me the big picture. What were your thoughts on this game? And he was telling me the offensive line didn't look too great. Wide receivers looked decent, better than better than advertised. As Lambert Smith goes four catches, 123 yards, two touchdowns, making the most of his touches. But physically up front, the offensive line was advertised to be this big, strong unit that would bully people around. And they, they just didn't quite do that. Yeah, so no. I think that was one of the more underwhelming points. Drew Aller looks good for you know being under duress a lot of the night. Goes for 325 yards, three touchdowns. Like what they saw out of him. But, you know, of course, the running back room, very talented. Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, I think the best backfield duo in the country. Uh, just my estimation. But, and yeah. Look, Penn State could have had a, a few more points on the board. I believe they, they missed two missed field two goals. Missed two field goals, yep. Then so. they changed field goal kickers. Yep. So. The Penn State field goal kicker couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. I remember hearing my brother yell downstairs, get this guy off the field. <laughs> get him off. Get him out of here. Yeah, Two missed field goals, you bum. I was not enjoying so, him. So. Typical fan moment. The yes, kicker, not I your would. brother. I was, yes. I, was, no, I, I knew you Your brother seems great. So, Yeah, you've never, you've never actually met my brother. Yeah, that's so. unfortunate. You've met my dad, you've met my mom, but I've never never met my brother. So, By the might, way. That might have to happen. Mr. and Mrs. Heim, fantastic people. When you look at it, they're fantastic. <laughs> I knew you were doing that, too. I was waiting for that after you said that. I was waiting for your Trump impression to kick yeah. in. Yeah, it's just so. fantastic when you think about it. But wrapping up real quick before our break, defensively, Penn State, I mean, most of the night looked good. I think their the, the run defense wasn't terribly, you know, wasn't great. No. Weren't horrible. But, I mean, I don't think, you know, West Virginia had much of a shot through the air to do much of anything, so... Again, it's it's the first week of the season. I'm not going to overreact. Some areas looked a little shaky, but every team's going to show their flaws. It's just how about you you build upon that and you know can make them, you know, not not as you know visible. I would say you sure know, make your flaws less less in the picture and you know, less in the limelight. I would say so. Yeah. Penn State's building block game. They get Delaware next week. That's a mop up. They're going to whoop them. Uh, you know at you know, Beaver Stadium before they go to play Illinois in week three. Underrated game. I know Illinois just squeaked by Toledo in week one, but they were a team that got off to a hot start last year. They were seven and one before finishing eight and five of the bowl game win. Uh don't overlook Illinois. Uh I'm not saying they're gonna beat Penn State, but they're not a team you can just go in, brush over, not give them the light of day is a team that can give you a run for your money. Uh and that's how you, that's how you lose games. That is how you lose games in this sport. Uh, by saying, oh, we can go in, we can out-talent them, we can, you know, we have the most talent on the field out of these two teams, and it's how you go in and lose. Not saying they're going to lose, but that's how you lose games. So they got to be locked in, lasered in on every opponent. Uh, I'm sure teams who, top teams who have got upset before will tell you that. Uh, we lost because we overlooked them. You've heard it before. So Penn State's got to stay locked in, but I th- I'm, I'm high on this Penn State team. I said they go 11-1 and with a loss to Ohio State. Ohio State didn't look great. Yeah. I'm not going to switch up. I'm going to stick with my, with my pick, go with Ohio State to win the East, but I'm high on Penn State this year. I, I really am. I think Aller's going to lead this team to, to to heights they didn't see under Sean Clifford. I think he's a game-changing quarterback. There was a reason his kid was a five-star coming out of high school. Plucked him from Medina, Ohio, right in the, you know, in the, in the home state that Ohio State stays in. So I I, I like Penn State. I do. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's right. okay. You can say it. Touchdown in the lines. I don't have any ill will against Penn State. You don't? So I feel like a lot of people find us irritating. Penn State fans are a little obnoxious. I'm not going to deny that. A little bit, uh, a little bit. On the well, when you're in the side. same vicinity as Eagles fans, but, kind yeah. of runs in the genetics. So it is what it is. I feel like the I like Penn, Penn State. State fans combine the just 
the obnoxiousness of Eagles fans with like the pretentiousness of Steelers fans. I could see that. It's a yeah. crazy mix. So. It is. It is. Yeah. It's. A it weird is a mix. wild blend. Yeah. So it's like the the best and the worst of Pennsylvania all in one. All right. Taking our first break of hour number two. When we come back, we will talk about the rest of the high-profile remaining games in week one in college football, and then we'll wrap up the show with a couple of NFL tidbits talking about a new rule that's coming into effect this season. Uh, And then the Wednesday show, look out for it. Heavy football talking show. We'll preview week two college football, NFL predictions, all that coming on Wednesday. Uh, But if you're huge in the NFL, you'll have to settle for some, you know, tidbits at the end of the show today. But be sure to tune in to Wednesday. A lot of NFL talk coming up there. But for here and now, don't go anywhere. We'll be back after a brief break here on Heavy Hitters on the Radio Voice of Kutztown University. KUR Kutztown. We're back. Hour number two of Heavy Hitters here on the Radio Voice of Kutztown University. KUR Kutztown on this beautiful Labor Day. Great weather. It's hot. It is. It's really heated up here on the Northeast in early September after a kind of mild summer. A lot of days in the in the high 70s, low 80s, but we're getting up towards the... We were, we were pushing the 90s, I think, between yesterday and today. I think today might have been over 90, so some welcomed warm weather for me. That means I get to use the pool more, just relax. But Must be nice, Jack. Must be nice. Yeah, I was actually in the pool with, with my family before I came here to do the show, so... Wow. Got to enjoy it a little bit, for sure. It's a luxury. I'm not trying to sit here and, wow. you know... It's okay. I didn't get an invite. It's all good. <laughs> no hard feelings. <laughs> What me? I would. I mean, the only means of transportation would be driving here. I guess, like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jack, can you drive forty five minutes here? Drove, drive here, drive back, and then drive back for the show, and then drive home. So that's a lot of gas. It's yeah, especially and in this economy. That's uh, pushing eighty miles yeah. driving. No, so. thank you. We got to make the economy that's no for work. me, dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> not to the economy working to to the. Yeah, you know, his, well, his, his plan is to make the economy work, as opposed to the other folks throughout time. So, that yeah. wasn't their plan. Moving on. Moving on. Back to college football. <laughs> talking about Penn State, we're going to talk about Washington. They rolled at home over Boise State. This was Boise. a game pretty much through the first quarter nice. and a half. It was, it was tight. Boise had a lead. I believe it was 13-7 Broncos at one point. Uh, and then... The Washington offense did what they did last year, and that was just bombard you with deep balls that connected for big play touchdowns. Michael Penix Jr., name might sound familiar for Penn State fans, former Indiana quarterback, had that heartbreaking two-point conversion, which is still debatable to this day, uh, in Bloomington to be Penn State week one of the COVID season. I'll never forget it. My brother's friends were over at the house. They were... In shambles after that loss. Yeah, that wasn't good. So, Michael Penix goes for 450 yards, five touchdowns in this game. Big game for a couple of the Washington receivers. Uh, Jalen McMillan, I believe their top receiver from a year ago, back for the Huskies. Uh, he had a big game. I'm trying to see, I couldn't see his name. Uh, Adunze, I believe that's how you say it. O D U N Z E. Adunze? Adunze. Yeah, that's what I'm going with. Adunze, 132 yards and a touchdown. Also for the Huskies, he led the Chargers, even Rice McMillan, a good game as well. Washington cruises 56-19 over Boise State. They start 1-0. and Some people were saying, oh, that minus 14 spread for Washington could be could be a little bit deceiving. Boise could keep it close. Was not the case. Uh, it was a rout up in Seattle. So, I don't know. I don't know, actually, if Washington is like the university. I think it's in Seattle. But we're going with it. I know Gonzaga is in Spokane, Washington. That's all I know. Just is, that where, is that where Gonzaga is? Yep. Spokane, I never knew. Spokane, Washington. 
Yeah, so. it's odd. Like, uh, I always, for some reason, thought, like, Notre Dame was uh, in, like, North Carolina. Nope, they're in. Nope. They're in. Couldn't have been further. Couldn't have been off. Indiana. Yep, Indiana. So. So, that, you know. South Bend, Indiana. Certain things, you know, really, really surprised me. I, I still don't know where Duke is. North Carolina. Oh. Okay, well, maybe that's my problem. Yeah, Duke is in North Carolina, Mitch. Okay. So. Well, you live, you learn. Well, if they're rivals with UNC, that's have, yeah. I guess have I should deduce that, what right? state they'd be in. Well, I mean, Eagles and Cowboys are rivals. I mean, yeah, but it's different. That's pro football. Like college, you think of rivalries, you think of geographical sense. I guess. Like Penn State rivals with Ohio State. Close, close. It's a whole state away. Yeah, but they're close enough. Rivals in Michigan. It's By not the way, crazy close, but it's close enough geographically. Random geographic thought. Did you know that Pennsylvania borders Canada? Um, what, this by shocked Erie? me when I learned it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Shocked me when I learned that. So, you well, you just handled that much better than I did. I had like an existential crisis. Well, I knew Lake Erie is close, like it's with New York and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I, I guess it can make sense that it borders Canada. It doesn't it's not that shocking to me. It's a water border. So, yeah, yeah. That that yeah that was crazy. So, All right. Moving on, last college game we're going to talk about before we preview uh, Clemson-Duke and then wrap it up with some NFL talk before I get out of here today. Got to talk about Florida State. It's the big one. Got to talk about Florida State. I got the shirt on. I was wearing my Dalvin Cook FSU jersey all throughout the game last night. Take the reins, buddy. This is your time to shine. (sighs) This is it for me, man. This was... I was waiting so long for this game. So much hype. Biggest game of the weekend. Number five, LSU. Number eight, Florida State. Down at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. I had goosebumps. All of them when kickoff happened. I was blasting the war chant leading up to it. So excited. And it happened. First half was shaky. You can't lie. Uh, I watched this game from start to end, of course. It, it was it was rocky. There, there were some mental mistakes, a couple of dumb penalties. By the way, refs in this game were horrible. Not even going to waste the, the, you know, any more time talking about that. They were horrific. That's it. Said my piece about that. Now, But now diving into the game details. LSU kind of kind of had control in the first half. They they pushed us around at the line of scrimmage. They were able to throw the ball very successfully, get their way down the field. But man, when they got in the end zone, FSU FSU locked up. They played bend but don't break defense in half number one. Multiple times LSU got inside the red zone. They couldn't score. Couple of fourth down stops. First drive of the game. Yeah, big first play. Drive. Big Fifty five yards down to the twenty. They get inside the ten on a connection to the tight end Mason Taylor, son of former. Miami Hurricane and NFL player Jason Taylor. Uh, I believe he also played. I believe Jason Taylor played for the Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but anyway, he had a catch, get him inside the ten. They ultimately get down to the two on a uh, bogus. I mean, a bogus personal foul on, on, on quarterback Jaden Daniels. I mean, that was ridiculous. But sets him up at the, at the two yard line, and the, and the defense goes to work. Run up the middle, stuff him. Another run, stuff him. Incompletion. Fourth down, they go for it. Jaden Daniels gets sacked by DJ Lundy, runs through a linebacker, gets up. I mean, just trucks him. He goes down with him, but gets up and gets up and sacks Jaden Daniels. Turnover on downs. Huge momentum swing. FSU goes right down the field. Keon Coleman scores his first touchdown uh, from 40 yards out. Man, what a game he had. I'll talk about Coleman very shortly. Coleman was on fire. He was. He was amazing. So that's how FSU starts. They go up 7-0, LSU gets a touchdown of their own. They kind of go back and forth. First half, uh, and then LSU kicks a late field goal, goes in the half up 17-14. 
honestly, FSU's own mistakes created a lot of LSU's offense. Just some missed coverages, some bad penalties, put LSU in a position to get points. They cash in a couple times. But LSU left points up there. I think two fourth down stops inside FSU's territory in the first half. So you could say, well, you know, if LSU got points there, this and the other thing, but they didn't because FSU's defense stopped them. It wasn't like LSU made mistakes to, to you know, cost themselves of getting points. No, FSU's defense just stood up. They were up to the task and stopped them. Uh, and that, that was huge enough in, in the first half. And honestly, the, some of those penalties, because they were playing bully, they just tried to be, be the most physical team. And, you know, that just, it led to some, you know, not being poised at all times and some late hits and, you know, hits out of bounds and some just some bad plays. And, and you know, they cleaned it up in the second half, which was what I like to see. I'm going to dive right in the second half. FSU outscores LSU 31-7, to and that LSU touchdown was in garbage time. Garbage I mean, time. It was a 28-point lead. They got a huge play against our backups. Uh, Brian Thomas takes it all the way to the house. I mean, one play. Uh, yeah, 75 yards. Brian Thomas Jr. catches it. Cooks one of our backup corners and goes to the end zone. Yeah, after 31 unanswered. But it didn't matter. Yeah, 31 FSU. unanswered. That it was did, impressive. It didn't matter. It was so impressive. Not just that they scored so many points, but they were just the most physical team on the field. They, they were bullying them. They, they bullied LSU in a submission. They took them and threw them into Wood Shepherd, man. I mean, there's so many analogies, so much, so many adjectives you could use to describe that second half, but LSU did not want to play anymore by the end of that game. They looked uninterested. They looked like, yeah, get us out of here and get us back to Baton Rouge. It was that bad. I mean, I thought FSU was going to win this game. I thought they could win. I, I was saying this to my dad yesterday. I thought they could win by maybe a touchdown, maybe by 10. They won by 21 points, and it took a late touchdown to, to make it not 28. It was impressive, and man, this was FSU's statement to, to the nation that if this offense is functioning at its highest capabilities, Look out, have fun stopping them. I mean, between Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, Jaheim Bell, the transfer from South Carolina, got a couple touchdowns. Trey Benson is the running back. Lawrence Tofili had a great game. Not only rushing, but had a huge fourth and two, the play of the game in my mind. FSU goes for it. Tied at 17. They give Tofili the ball in a little dump off in the flats. He runs it 40-plus yards, gets thrusted down at the one. Travis with his own rushing touchdown in the game just waltzes in. That changed the game. They don't convert that fourth down. It's a brand new game. It's completely different. Else, gets For the ball sure. back tied. They have a chance to to retake control, but they don't. And that's what really you know took off FSU for the rest of this game. I mean, the offensive line made some big changes. Keandre Jones, bless Harris, come in because uh, Marie Smith was just having a tough time handling Makai Wingo in that first half. He was a game wrecker in half number one, getting home, making Jordan Travis feel the heat, rattling him. FSU really just couldn't get the offense ro- rolling at all in the first half. But, man, once Travis settled down, they gave him some time. It was completely different. You have to cover so many guys. And thinking about it as an LSU defender, you have to be exhausted by the end of the game because you never know who's going to hurt you. Keon Coleman had three touchdowns in his FSU debut. Yeah. Yeah, he looked he looked like a stud. One where he just catches it, makes two guys miss, go to the end zone. The he, other two, jump ball touchdowns in yep. the end zone. That he just high points, wrestles away from the DB, just using his sheer size and build to say, yeah, I'm going to go up, I'm going to come down with this ball, and there's not much you can do about it. Transfer from Michigan State. Yep, two-sport athlete, yeah. uh, was a football and basketball recruit, yeah, and you could see the basketball background and the way he leap, just jumps man. for balls, got man. that leap. He's a special talent, and he's going to be a treat to watch all year long for me. 
Johnny Wilson's the guy who played well too. A couple of bad drops, but went over 100 yards. He's a guy who can just do it all. Finished with seven catches for 104. Bell, two for 49, a touchdown. That huge catch for Tophelia I mentioned. Winston Wright got his name involved. By the way, not a guy who's going to be talked about a lot, but Winston Wright uh, was in a car crash last year. Didn't play. Was coming back from injury for that. Uh, but great to see him. Great to see him on the field this year. Long road on the recovery. His leg was really, really messed up. But the rehab and just a story for him to get back and get on the field and, you know, get a catch and just be out there with the team that he, that, that he transferred to. He was a guy I liked coming into the coming into last year but was hurt. Uh, really good to see him out there this year. Uh, but for Florida State, again, just the physicality. Defensively, they, they didn't let – Daniels looked uncomfortable for a large portion of that second half. I mean, I thought back to one play, designed run, Daniels goes up the middle, hurdles, and Tatum Bethune, our linebacker, just steps up and plants him, just hits him, drives him into the turf. That that was one of the defensive defining plays. DJ Lundy coming in, sacking him, like I mentioned. All night long, FSU's defense just embraced the, the bend but don't break in the first half, and then they controlled in the second half. They didn't, they didn't let F, LSU get anything. Nothing was easy. Renato Green got an interception. I love Fentro Cypress. FSU kind of left him out on an island. LSU targeted them. They got theirs, but you're gonna that's gonna happen when you put a quarterback on an island. But he he stood, you know, he he handled it pretty well. I was really impressed with that. Secondary, you know, showed their showed their flashes of weakness, but overall, not a bad game for them. D-line, I was so impressed. Defensive line, Jerry reverse off the edge, gets a sack. Defensive tackle, so deep. Braden Fisk, Western Michigan transfer. Just so many areas of of positivity to talk about but man I said I was going to talk about it earlier that culture what Mike Norvell has built down in Tallahassee this is a game where FSU people talk about preseason hype they were on preseason magazines this that, and the other thing people a lot of people out in their college football playoff but you had to see was it real against LSU and I think it's real I'm not saying they're going to go to the playoff I'm not saying they're going to win the natty it's you got to take it one week at a time well, but, I did see that right now the matchup for I believe it's the Orange Bowl. So projection would be FSU Penn State. So and that would be a treat. That would to be watch. A, that would be an exciting. That game. would be awesome. I'd love to see that happen. Yeah, that'd be cool. So on New Year's Eve, probably Eve or New Year's Day. Yep. So one of the two. But yeah, I would love that. But overall, my final thoughts in this game: Florida State were the most physical team. They played the role of the bully, and they they played all night long. They they came in believing that they could push LSU around. And for those final 30 minutes of the game, they did. They they wore them down. They exhausted. By the way, didn't really talk about the LSU positives. Offensive line. LSU, one of the best offensive lines, I think, in the country, especially in pass pro. They really gave Dangers a lot of time. I was really impressed with that. But back to one more thing. Back to that defensive line for FSU. LSU's natural run game. Not quarterback runs off of scripted passways by Jaden Daniels. LSU got nothing. They got nothing. They couldn't get a push. And it started from that first drive, but they couldn't get a push inside the five to get into the end zone. That set the tempo all night that they were not going to be able to run the football against this, this FSU front. And that's what stood out to me most. It really, really did. Linebackers play well. I mentioned so much of the positives for FSU, but I think that LSU positive, pass protection, I think that front seven. Harold Perkins, one guy I didn't talk about for LSU, he was a ghost. I mean, he was a guy who was electric last year for LSU's defense. So many big plays. He was a game-wrecking guy. They, he did not have an impact on this game whatsoever. He was absent, silent. You saw him out there. He did not make an impact. FSU neutralized him. He just could not find a way to get his name involved in this game. So credit to FSU for that. Huge win. 45-24. LSU's got to find a way to rebound. Concerning comments, though, from Brian Kelly after the game, LSU's head coach. Direct quote. I 
did not. This is not the team that I thought we had. Along those, I think huh. I don't know if that's direct, but that's along the lines of what he said. That's concerning, is it not? Yeah, it is. Like when you when you're ranked fifth and you come in and you say that after the game. I did Ooh. not. This is not the team that I thought we had. That you're not saying. You're this, not saying that. Like you're not saying that this isn't the team we're going to be. This isn't who we are. You're saying this might be here to stay. And yeah, it's not what I thought. Like this is something that might not be be changeable. Yeah. As an LSU fan, I would be like, a little concerned be about this, this comments. Yeah. Yeah. This might be a thing that lingers over throughout the whole season. So That is not good. FSU is the better team. I think L- LSU is a more talented team, right? Recruiting, if you look at recruiting rankings for the past couple of years, LSU beats FSU. They're the deeper team. I'd say probably, you know, the more athletic team, this, that, and the other thing, but whatever. FSU was the better team yesterday, and they proved it over the course of 60 minutes, and there was not a shadow of a doubt that anyone walking out of that game said FSU was the better of those two teams. And I love it. This is a state. This is a statement game. This you know shows that FSU belongs back at the big boy table, and I can confidently say that for the first time since 2014. <sighs> a long time coming, but Mike Norvell, I will tip my cap to you, however many times it takes for what you've done with this program through the lows that lost Jacksonville State last year, losing three in a row to Wake Forest, Clemson, NC State. Uh, but last year overall was a good year, ten wins. Had to had to have had to have a building block year. But FSU is back amongst the national stage as one of the top teams in the nation, and I could not love it more. All right, when we come back, final break of the show, I, we will quickly, quickly preview Clemson and Duke uh, and then talk some NFL uh, stuff, you know, new rules, a new rule for this upcoming year, emergency quarterback, uh, and then touch upon, you know, some rosters and other stuff before we give our main predictions on the Wednesday show. But as always, uh, before we go to before we go to the break, I want to thank everybody who's tuned in, whether you're just tuning in now or you've tuned in from the start. Very much appreciated. We will be back after a short break, final break of today's show on the Heavy Hitters Labor Day special. Don't go anywhere. And welcome back into Heavy Hitters. Give me my volume down here. Yeah. My bad. That's my bad. Uh, it's Mitchell Smedley, Jack Heim here for the final segment of today's show uh, here on Labor Day. Um, Phillies just got underway. Kyle Schwarber leadoff walk against the Padres. And uh, why am I blanking on the name? Is that Petco? Yes, Petco yeah. Park, Rich Hill on the mound for the Padres. Yes, sir. And uh, Taiwan Walker. I yes, think, on, on the, the mound for the Phillies. Phillies. Yep, I looked so. at it earlier. You are correct about that. Taiwan correct. on the bump. Nice. All right, we're gonna preview Clemson versus Duke, and then we'll go to some NFL talk here to wrap up the show. Sounds good, buddy. Here on this Labor Day, Clemson. Duke tonight on the road is number nine, Clemson. It's been a good weekend for the ACC. I didn't really talk about it, but North Carolina convincingly beat South Carolina in the Dukes-Mayo Classic down in Charlotte. 31-17, the heels won. Drake May uh, threw a couple picks. Wasn't his best game, but the rushing attack was huge for North Carolina. Something that was so bad for that offense last year. But British Brooks goes for over 100 yards on 15 carries, so good for him. And Amari Hampton had a couple rushing scores for the heels. They looked good, they were physical, and they bullied South Carolina at the point of attack at the lines of scrimmage. So good win for the heels. And Mac Brown getting his 100th career coaching win uh, now at two schools. has 100 wins at Texas and now got his 100th win as head coach of North Carolina. So congratulations to him. All right, but previewing tonight's game, Clemson and Duke. The question is, what does this Clemson offense look like under new offensive coordinator Garrett Riley? Uh, the name sounds familiar. He led TCU's offense last year when they went to the national title game with Max Duggan, Kendry Miller, and Quentin Johnston. So a lot of the talented names there. Comes in and takes over this Clemson team who has high hopes. 
Uh, they've won seven of the last ACC championships. Uh, has been the main power in this conference under Dabo Swinney for the nearly the past decade. What does this offense look like? How much does this raise Cade Klubnick's game? Because Klubnick looked okay last year, but he was a quarterback prospect with a lot of hype around him. Uh, high four-star, if not a five-star quarterback out of Texas, was immensely talented at high school. At, pardon me, at the high school ranks. But the expectations are high, Clemson, and as they should be. They're number nine in the country. What does this offense look like? What, what do they come out and do? What do they show the first night? Will Shipley's back? Of course, they're star running back. This isn't an overly talented wide receiver room. We've seen a lot better wide receiver rooms at Clemson over the years. Of course, think about their national championship team, Deshaun Watson. They had Hunter Renfro and the likes of, of that crew. Sammy Watkins there. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Throwing out some names, so, boy. I mean, Clemson has had some very solid receivers over the years. Uh, Justin Ross, who was very talented before he got hurt, uh, you know, now with the Chiefs, and we're seeing if he can do anything in, in his NFL career. So the names go on and on. Clemson had some very talented receivers over the, over the Dabo years, but this is not one of their most talented wide receiver rooms. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm not, but I'm also going to say that it's not a receiver room that I look at and say, "Wow, I have a lot of fear facing this group." So how does a talented offensive mind like Garrett Riley utilize this offense to be its most productive? Uh, even though the you know the flashy names aren't there in this offense in, in the wide receiver room. Uh, I'm interested to see that. I think they will be a good offense. I think they'll be top 20. I think it's just because of how good of an offensive mind Garrett Riley is. You saw what he did at TCU. He has that track record. Uh, and of course, being the brother of USC head coach Lincoln Riley, being a good offensive mind just seems to run in that family. So, yes, that's my biggest question about Clemson. The defense is going to be there. I mean, Clemson defenses are always good, right? Back when Brent Venables was a DC, now the head coach of Oklahoma, uh, I can't remember the last time Clemson had a bad defense. Uh, they just have plenty of good talent there. Jeremiah Trotter Jr., Eagles fans, that name should ring yeah, a bell. Yeah, that's a big name, boy. So, exactly, that that name should be ringing a yeah, bell. It, oh. <laughs> just, just nothing, just sounds. Just, he's Whoa. a good player. Yeah, he what was do you a want good from player. me? Now his kid's at Clemson. Went Darryl to high school in Pennsylvania. Maya Trotter. St. Joe's Prep, uh, Pennsylvania High School Powerhouse. So, produced a lot of good players. Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State. Kyle McCord, the starting Buckeyes quarterback, came from St. Joe's Prep. DeAndre Swift went there. The names go on and on and on. Another eagle. So, you know what? You know who I didn't know went there, but did? Who? Olamide Zacchaeus. I don't even know who that is. He was with the Falcons last year. No, I don't uh, think he's with the Eagles. Could be wrong. I don't think he's with the Eagles. I don't know. Could be Maybe wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. So, but back to the game preview. Clemson, what does that offense look like? I know that defense is going to be fine. For Duke, what does year two under Mike Elko look like? Overachieved last year, nine wins. What I mean, what a first season for him to do. He really couldn't have done much better than he did. But this Blue Devils team, they have a tough schedule throughout the year. They got to play all the top teams in the ACC. They, they they draw Clemson week one. They draw they draw Notre Dame, who's not an ACC team, but Notre Dame plays a lot of the ACC schools. They get Florida State. They get UNC. They get Pitt. They get Louisville. They get NC State. I mean, it's a tough conference schedule for Duke. They got to play a lot of the top ACC teams. Yep. So how do they manage that? But for tonight, you know, is it too much? It's at home. You're going to have a solid crowd. Riley Leonard, a really talented quarterback from a year ago. Uh, they bring back a lot of their guys. I'm interested to see what Duke looks like. I, I really, really am. Uh, but I think Kate Klubnick for you know back to a game prediction. I think Kate Klubnick's going to take a step forward. I think Garrett Riley's going to you know get the most out of this quarterback, get the most out of these offensive weapons. 
I like Clemson to win. I like Clemson to cover. The spread is, as I'm seeing, minus 12. Uh, I've seen as I think, minus 13 um, is what I mostly saw it at. So give me, give me the Tigers to win. Give me the Tigers to cover. I think this team, you know, shows out well out of the gates. And not that Duke's going to be a bad team, but I think it's just, I think Clemson's a little bit, little bit too much to handle for Mike Elko and, and, and this Duke team going into night one. I like it, buddy. Give me uh, Clemson by 14. Clemson by 14. That is foul. As Mitch is live I watching think. the Phillies game. Oh, no. I don't know if it is. No, it's not foul. It's fair. It's fair. Is that a two-run double for Alec Bohm? Uh Yes, it is. Yeah. It is now 3 nothing Phillies. 3 nothing. Live score update. That looked foul to me. So Looked foul. They called it fair. Yeah. But back I, to I am also blind, so that may have had something. It was right in the corner, man. Oh, okay. All right, three nothing fills. There, there we it go. is. But back to Duke real quick. I mean, they bring back their second leading receiver from a year ago in Jordan Moore. Uh, they got Shamir Hagens, a uh, local guy from Philly. Uh, he was the third le- leading receiver. I believe he's back. Uh, it helps that your quarterback's also your leading rusher, Riley Leonard, had 690 yards on the ground last year. Of course, he's back at quarterback. Jordan Waters was a senior. Uh, you know, he was a you know, played four years at Duke. Oh, it Not was sure. just He's fair. coming back. Wow. Sorry, they showed a replay. You're good. You're oh. good. Just fair. But Quez Moore, I think, certainly be back at five yards in the ground. So look, I mean, just my humble <clears> opinion. <throat> I think, bless you, my friend. That was a cough. Oh, it was a cough. It's well, okay. Thank excuse you. you then. Hey, you got one in the bank. So. All right. Next time yeah. I sneeze, you're covered. My, my, my final thoughts in this game. I think Clemson's offense comes out of the gate looking good. I think Kate Clubman is going to be able to sling the rock well tonight. That Clemson defense is just going to be a little bit too much. Riley Leonard will get his own. I think Duke will put up some points, but Clemson's going to win. Clemson to cover. Agreed. Agreed. Totally agree. Clemson's just too good, man. Clemson is just too good. Going to set up an exciting matchup for week four. Clemson FSU. Ooh. In Clemson. That's going to end September. We'll talk about that. You know I got to roll with Clemson. In due time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know you're going to roll with Clemson. You're a Clemson guy, whatever. Well, very tangentially. Whatever, buddy. It's okay. I forgive you. You got a notebook? I forgive you. I do have a notebook. Nice. From the KUR community calendar, how can the career development staff help you? That's the question that will be answered and many more at the Cookies, Coffees, and Careers event happening on both Tuesday, September 5th from 11 to 1 p.m. and Wednesday, September 6th from 12 to 2 p.m. Come out to the Alumni Plaza for free cookies and iced coffee to meet your friendly Career Development Center staff. This message of community interest is brought to you by the Radio Voice of Kutztown University. K, you are wrapping it up, talking about NFL. We talked about a whole lot of college football. Started the show with some MLB talk. Got to talk about some NFL, though, however. Uh, talking about a new rule change that just the details about that broke today. On uh, emergency quarterback, there was some brief talk about that in the offseason, but uh, emergency third QB rule change details officially come out today ahead of the 2023 season. Again, this article from Bleacher Report uh, and Tom Palacero on Twitter putting out the official uh, you know, designations that rule in hereby says the emergency third quarterback must be in the club's 53 player roster. Player cannot be elevated, cannot be an elevated practice squad player. The club's starting quarterback QB1 and its backup quarterback QB2 must also be on the club's 53 player roster. Club must have two bona fide quarterbacks on its 47 to 48 player game day activist to designate an emergency third quarterback. A club cannot designate the quarterback if it has three or more bona fide quarterbacks on its 47 to 48 player game day active list. Um, and then these are just more uh, FAQs about the rule. 
When is an emergency third QB permitted to enter a game? Uh, it is permitted to enter a game only if the club's two active QBs are unable to play, either by disqualification or injury, including, for example, if QB1 is unable to play and QB2 is being elevated for being evaluated for an injury. Hmm. After an emergency quarterback enters a game, are QB1 or QB2 permitted to return? Good question. Yes, if either quarterbacks are evaluated for injury and cleared to return, they may re-enter the game. Doesn't say they have to though. No, it doesn't say they have to, but it says they can. Gotcha. Uh, are teams allowed to list players who play other positions as an emergency third quarterback? No. Players who play positions other than QB are prohibited from being listed as emergency third quarterback. For example, a tight end who wears jersey number eighty. Let's say it's Taysom Hill who has played quarterback before, but is now listed as a tight end. He cannot be the Saints' emergency third quarterback. Has to be a player who is designated at the quarterback position on the depth chart. Very important caveat there. So let's say the Saints had Derek Carr and Jameis Winston both go down. In a game, they can't put Taysom Hill at quarterback. They'd have to bring a third guy in. So important. Really? So you can't have other guys play quarterback? No, you can't. I think, like, if you want to run a trick play, you can. But, like, you can't use them as your designated third QB, is what I'm saying. Okay. But so if Taysom Hill wanted to stand back there and take some snaps, he still could, right? Yeah, he still could. Okay. Like, let's say they designed it some plays in the play before. There's nothing against the rules saying you can't do that. Yeah. But there's, you can't say, okay, Car and Wister unavailable. Let's take Hill from tight end and put him back at quarterback. You can't do that. It has to be a designated, officially listed quarterback in your depth chart, and Hill is officially listed as a tight end. Well, that doesn't make sense to me. <clears throat> so, like, because so at, that, at this point we can't run Wildcats. We can't run any of this. No, you can. But it, what you're saying is that, but you can't do it if both those guys are unavailable. End. You can't. I don't. So think if so. they're available, Taysom Hill can play quarterback. If they're not, he can't. I believe so. That's what I'm reading. What if the Saints just don't want to have a an emergency quarterback and just go, ah, Taysom's got it? Our teams, uh, it says, are teams allowed to list players who play other positions as an emergency third quarterback? No. So he just can't be listed, but he can still do it. Yeah, he can That's still so do stupid. it. That's so stupid. Yeah, he just can't be listed as the emergency quarterback. At that point, who cares? But I don't know if the Saints would do that. Again, this is all the hypothetical scenario. Yeah, that's odd. That's so, weird. I don't like it. I like how that how this works. So, emergency quarterback can also participate with the teams during the official warm up period. Um, if QB available is unavailable for other reasons, such as equipment issue. Oh! Emergency quarterback cannot enter the game if QB1 is unavailable and QB2 has an equipment issue that requires him to come out of the game. So, like, let's say you have what? a helmet issue as a quarterback. Oh, man. If you're the QB2 and have to come out of the game for like a play or two. You gotta, you gotta have, somebody, have a position. You gotta player. have somebody else play quarterback. Oh man, that's wild. That's awesome. That's so that's Taysom Hill could play quarterback. So like, let's say, let's say your QB one goes down and a helmet issue transpires with your other quarterback, and you don't have any timeouts like to burn, like to, to, to try to fix it, or he has to come out of the game. You got McCaffrey at quarterback. You got again. somebody else going in. <laughs> CMC's playing QB. Heck, we got we got Rashad Penny or DeAndre Swift <laughs> back there playing quarterback. Dallas Goddard's taking snaps back there. But see, what I'm saying is, say. Uh, Saquon, you're playing QB. Say Derek Carr is healthy, right, and he's playing, but they want to have Taysom Hill take some snaps on a drive, right? They want to have Taysom Hill play for that drive because it's the Saints. They're weird. Like, they can still do that. They just can't list him as the emergency quarterback? I believe that's correct. So weird. Does it have to be the emergency quarterback that comes in if both of those guys are hurt? Yes. Why? I believe so. I don't know about that. I don't know if it has to be. Right. That's what I'm saying. But it more than likely will be. Well, because teams dumb. don't have the Taysom Hill luxury. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, I mean, if the Eagles still had, uh, what's his face? 
Okay, the emergency quarterback must report to the referee when entering the game. Not required after every play, but only when there is a situation that requires the emergency QB to enter or re-enter the game. Sorry, can you repeat that? To enter the game, the emergency third quarterback must report to the officials, to oh, the referee. Okay. Not required every play, but only when there is a situation that requires the emergency quarterback to enter or re-enter the game. An unsportsmanlike conduct penalty will be assessed if the emergency QB does not properly report to the referee upon entering the game. The referee will confirm with the head coach that QB1 and QB2 are currently unable to participate, but it is not the responsibility of the refs to determine the legitimacy of the injury or medical examination. The referee or a member of the officiating crew will notify the opposing head coach that the emergency QB has entered the game, and the referee will make a public announcement to that effect. Okay. Huh. So when he's entering the game, the refs will announce that the emergency QB has entered the game. Interesting. Gotcha. Are clubs allowed to play the emergency quarterback in non-traditional fashion, i.e. wildcat formation? Question answered. No. Emergency third QB who enters a game must line up under center or in shotgun and must take the snap. No other player may take a snap if the emergency third quarterback is in the game. Okay, so that that leads me to believe that Taysom Hill could play quarterback if QB1 and QB2, QB2 are, healthy. Two are healthy, but not, but not if, if the emergency... Yes. Okay. Exactly, that's exactly what it Getting says. Getting somewhere here. No other player may take a snap that's if the better. emergency QB that's is in better. the game. Okay. Uh, we are going to have to wrap it up soon, yeah, so we have like 10 more seconds. But that is the new rule. Uh, okay. Hopefully we won't have to see that this year. But if it does happen, a team will have a third qualified quarterback to take snaps for them. Well, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back here on Wednesday. Not a long wait to hear from us again. We want to thank all of you who've tuned into the Labor Day special edition of Heavy Hitters. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Labor Day. Um, have a good Tuesday. And Go we'll be Phils. back here on Wednesday night talking about more college football, MLB, and all NFL previews. So look forward to that. NFL predictions, week one breakdown, all that and more coming to the Wednesday show. It'll be a jam-packed show. You don't want to miss it here on KUR Heavy Hitters. This is, I'm Jack Mitchell. We're signing off until Wednesday.